Brute force. If it doesn't work, you're just not using enough. You're listening to SoftRap. Special ops news and information straight from the experts. And now, here are your hosts, Brandon Webb, Jack Murphy, and the rest of the boys at SoftRap. Softrep.com, on time, on target, Ian Scotto, Jason Delgado, what's going on, man? Episode 299. I know, man. One away from the big three, double O. Yeah. And when it happens, I've got um, I've got some original music done, which I just let you hear. Very Top Gun-esque, very patriotic, as you were saying. Nice. I, I Listen, I just heard it. I'm telling, I'm telling everyone out there in uh, podcast land, listen up, guys. This is going to be pretty freaking epic. <laughs> and shout out to John Burns, who, who did an awesome job. Um, I mean, you guys haven't heard it yet, so you'll hear it next episode. Um, the first thing I wanted to say, actually, is that the guys who backed the Big Mountain Heroes documentary, thanks for doing it. And I could personally say that we have you covered because I've been here all day um, working stuff out. We have Admir, who now runs the shipping department. And between Crate Club and you know all the different tiers of Crate Club and now sending out the people who have helped uh, back Big Mountain Heroes on Kickstarter, uh, he's taking care of everything. So if those guys ever say, hey, we need you to ship something out, I'm always down to help out the team here. And uh, so those will be here soon, and thank you for waiting patiently, anybody who had those rewards coming. Um, and Brandon and the rest of the crew are in the UK for the Remembrance Rumble where Shout you were out. last year. Yeah, man. And I know what they're going through, man. It's 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 nerve wracking when you, you know, because uh, prior to that, we'll do a couple days of training and, you know, warming up. And then they'll um, do an event where, you know, we'll go and we'll spa or we'll practice for a little bit. And they'll um, they'll match you up with someone of your, you know, weight class or similar to your weight class, which is I say similar because I don't know if you guys know this, but Brits are generally way taller and bigger than Americans. Americans like and big phil dude like actually phil is probably one of the shortest ones and he's probably like six one and but he's like, wide yeah he's six one and he's probably a good 300 some pounds yeah um everyone else like uh campion and 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 the other guys man they're like six foot five six foot six you know 260 270 pounds so it, it's pretty intimidating but we get it in we scrap you know that's something about americans that you know we, we could look at you know at the biggest uh, opponent in front of us and you know you won't see anything so i know what they're going through and it's pretty tough but uh they're gonna need your support because let me tell you we're on their home turf we what i don't know what happened we tried to get them over here this year i don't know if logistically we couldn't work it out over here in new york which it's totally understandable it's freaking new york yeah. but um they're in their hometown so the crowd cheers their songs and all that but our boys put in work so support them go online we're gonna do the uh, live broadcast like we yes, did last sir. year i'm pretty sure rad um, yeah rad's on there he's He's going to be hosting super awesome host man way energetic and just keeping track with us you know um log on you know if you haven't subscribed yet subscribe and go on to our uh, facebook uh soft rep on facebook and you'll be able to see it live man and hopefully we'll do something too i don't know whatever we can do but you guys got to show support for our guys right absolutely man uh yeah it must have been crazy going over there and doing that especially you know you're not 
you're not a boxer, you're a trained killer, but <laughs> yeah, and, and man, it took it. I, I I took it serious. I actually did, but I have very little time from when I committed to you know when the fight was actually going to happen. Yeah. So I think literally I trained for three months in in Afghanistan, and I was so fortunate that on the contract that I was on, I had two guys that would damn near pro boxers that were on the contract. You know, you just don't know, you know, whose walk of life. I mean, uh, you know, uh, the guys that you're around and their walk of life, you know, because until you get down to it and they'll see you in the gym, you know, trying to hit the bag and they're like, bro, you're doing it all wrong. You know what I mean? Like, all right, well, show me. And next thing you know, you're like, bro, you're like a boxing ninja. Teach me. So I was fortunate enough to have two awesome guys, super freaking psychotic, aggressive guys that just whooped my ass every day. Like I learned the hard way how to box and it paid off because in three months I did a decent job. I'm not going to say I did the greatest job in the world considering I only trained for that small amount of time, but I, I, I didn't let us down. You know what I mean? It felt great. So that being said, the guys I think that we have now, it's an all-Marine team because yep. that's what we do. We show up. The Marine Corps don't play. <laughs> all the you Navy know. SEALs backed out, I think. Everyone backed out. <laughs> Navy SEALs, SF cats. And you know what? Fuck that. I'm calling y'all out. You know, it, this is like the second time in a row that the Marines have showed up. And, you know, let me tell you, I'm not even talking about MARSOC. I think I was the only one that was, like, considered MARSOC because I, you know, got the fucking DD-214 and said I was so calm and MARSOC, whatever. But, you know, I wasn't a Raider. You know, and then everyone else was, like, you know, freaking, uh, you know, I think, you know, like, 1-9 or something like that. And But the, the crazy part is we opened this invitation up to everyone. We put it on our websites. You know, I throw out the invitation out there. And, and you know, guys just, you know, they don't want to come out. So the Marines, let me tell you, they're all for it. They raise their hand real quick. Yeah, hell yeah, I'll go overseas and fight, you know? So right now, this year, we have an all-Marine team, and these guys are scrappers. They're fighters. So you can go on to Soft Rep right now, and you'll see all the uh, updates that they're throwing up. It's a lot, of, a lot of the guys that were out there last year. Check out their profiles, you know, check out the little clips that we uh, put together that you can see their training and their boxing for it. And I think we're going to have a really awesome showing out this year, man. Yeah, Definitely way better than last year. Um, so before we bring on Derek, I was going to say, like, the, the big pieces of news, I guess, are that the election results, which did swing very left. Uh, yeah. You know, I'm from Long Island, and there are parts of Long Island that went Democrat that never do. Um, I know Rob Astorino in New York lost his election. Uh, former employee of Sirius, he actually ran, like, a whole department. I heard he was one of the coolest guys to work under. And... As he's a Republican and, and said that he believes he lost because of the unpopularity of Trump. So I, there's some it's, people saying it, that. I mean, yeah, but it's it's in the fishbowl of New York. Yeah. You understand? So the unpopularity of Trump, you got to understand, New York is a Democratic state. We Bill city. de Blasio. Yeah, again. Build, yeah you know, it, it couldn't have been worse. Yeah, it couldn't have been worse. You have Bill de Blasio. Um, you know, you got Cuomo. On top of that, you had Hillary Clinton here. Um, you know, you know, sticking her tentacles in it, everything. So obviously all the advertisement, all the ads, all the Facebook posts, everything that's targeted at New Yorkers, minorities especially, is pro-democratic, anti-Republican. So a Republican's not going to have a freaking chance in hell to win anything in New York as long as that. Yeah, but keep know, in mind it is New York City because... You know, sometimes I say the same thing you do, and I'll get emails from people who are upstate, and they're like, hey, we're not like you guys. We no, love our and guns I, and here. I totally get it, and I totally get it. You're right. Outside of the tri-state area or outside of New York City or the five boroughs, yeah, it's pretty much America. 
you know, they, they enjoy their gun laws, they enjoy their property, they enjoy their open fields, they, you know, they're, they're very relaxed. But within the five boroughs, the five boroughs are controlled as if it was a police state. Yeah. You know, they they don't want anyone running around with weapons defending themselves. They don't want no one eating too much sugar and, you know, getting the uh, supersized McDonald's. You know, <laughs> they want to control every facet of, uh, you know, their their citizens, citizens' lives, you know. So, yeah. so we're the ones who vote that in, in into office, you know what I mean? We're the ones who vote that, that regime in. So we can't really... We can't really complain. We have no room to complain. That's why the cigarette taxes, that's why a, a pack of Newports costs 14 something over here. You know, it's because they're trying to tell us how we're supposed to live. Yeah, nanny state. Nanny state, exactly. I don't even want to say police state. I want to say nanny state because I like the fact we got a lot of cops here. Really, I do. <laughs> yeah, no, I really do. It, it is true, even though I think there's predominantly people on the left who, when they go into like Penn Station or any of the major stations in New York and they see cops with, um, you know, ARs. And I like that. Actually, what what you would know better than me? What gun do they technically have? M4s. Yeah, M4s. Yeah, M4s. Uh, yeah, some people will be like, I don't like this, and I agree with you. Like, it's good that we have. That. I like it. Yeah. Show a force. Let them know. Don't fuck around in New York. Yeah. Hell yeah. Um. So we got that. Trump is in China. I the big quote that uh, I see going around. I didn't watch the whole speech or anything, but Trump saying on trade, I don't blame China. It's a weird juxtaposition because of the fact that like. China are technically our allies, so you got to go over there. You got to play nice, I guess, but they're they're not really a good friend. Of, and it's not that they're not a good friend. I agree with what Trump said. They are responsible to their citizens. Sure, sure. And if they can get over wherever they can, they're going to. Wouldn't you? If you had a responsibility to your family... And in order to ensure their legacy and to make sure that they're getting the best side of every deal, you're going to exploit whatever loopholes you can. That's yeah. just human nature. It's just, you know, what's weird to me is that Trump, well, look, it is different when you're the president, I should say that. But he ran on some very heated rhetoric about China, as well as Saudi Arabia. And then I see him tweeting, um, you know, that... Saudi Arabia is getting the job done, and I respect, you know, their okay, dictator, so, I should say. On the same hand, he also said a lot of tough things to North Korea. True. And still has, but yet he's not put, he's not backing them into a corner. He's still giving them an option, the diplomatic option, telling them, you know, stop your nuclear weapons uh, purchasing or nuclear weapons program. And let me tell you, we will give you aid. We will help you. And he even used South Korea as an example of what we can do for their citizens. So all he's doing is holding up a mirror to the Republic of North Korea saying that, look, this is what your dictator is doing to you. He's keeping you guys from moving into the next generation and being able to enjoy everything that the South Koreans enjoy. You know, so it, it, to me, it's him kind of taking on a more diplomatic approach. Yeah. And when it comes to China, I've always heard him say well, everything he said about China, but to me wasn't derogatory. No, because he always fact. said that they're very matter smart. Of fact. They're very smart. He always said that. Yeah. And what's funny is China's first response to Trump was not a negative one. And this is prior to him winning the election, almost as if they had the foresight enough to know that he was going to win. They said, whatever we had to pay in order to do business, we will. Because that's just whatever the laws of the of that land or that business are, are gonna you know entail, um, so they're willing to play ball, and they even said it before he was he was the president. So I, I think it's a mutual respect, knowing, and, and it's the same thing with the taxes, and with Trump and his tax, uh, all his tax breaks. 
if there's a loophole there that he can expose, he's going to expose. The man is a billionaire. He's about making money and making the best possible deal, you know, for him and his family. Now his family is the United States. He's going to make the best possible deal for the United States, which means closing a lot of those loopholes. So, you know, we got to give the man a break. I think he's doing a good job. What about on Saudi Arabia? Because I, I do think that's kind of interesting how he's writing tweets praising Saudi Arabia. And you know what's an interesting thing? I know you've been on the podcast with Quint Emerson. Uh-huh. It was a different podcast where Quint said it. So Quint's dad worked in the oil industry. So he I grew remember. up in Saudi Arabia. And he said, like, growing up there and hating the culture, hating the way the people were there, it drove him to be a Navy SEAL. Yeah, because you know? they treated him with, with discontent yeah. and hatred. So uh, when it comes to Saudi Arabia, I'm thinking Trump initially has ambitions of getting it back to where it was when they had the royal family running it or their, their version of the royal family running it. Maybe he has something, you know, working. You know, you got to give him the benefit of the doubt. We don't know everything. Yeah, it's an interesting thing, though, because... Yes, they're an ally and they, you know, we're, we're very much having allegiance with them due to the oil situation, but they are an Islamic theocracy like every other no, Islamic hands down, theocracy. Hands down. But like I said, we don't know everything yet. So let's see what he has cooking up. Maybe he does because I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt. This man is actually, he's pretty smart. He's pretty smart. The things he says, you know, it's more, they're more foretelling than they are uh, indicative of what's currently happening. You understand what I'm saying? Like, I, I think he has, he definitely has a lot of foresight. So maybe he's, you know, through the words alone, he's trying to get some type of favor over there and may, maybe get them to open up to us and let us get in there a little bit more. But we'll see. It, it's all it's also safe to say, you know, kind of like how I mentioned in the last episode, he's got, and, and look, I've been very critical of Trump, but he's got some great people working with him, i.e. General Mattis. So I hope that General Mattis is one of those guys who are telling him what to do. And I I hope he's taking their advice. You know, that's all I can say, because so far, like, you know, when it comes to uh, what we have seen so far, he's fired a lot of campaign managers, you know, and and it it (laughs) might be just a matter of them not being able to produce what he's expecting them to produce or that they're constantly trying to tell him what to say or do. So it might not be the case considering he still has, you know, his cabinet. But, you know, I'm just, like I said, I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt. So far, I'm seeing great growth in our economy, super growth in our economy. You credit him for that, I credit him for that, of course. Because, like I said, when, when other nations see that there's a businessman in charge of our nation and he's setting forth laws as far as or trying to set forth um you know tax codes to to benefit you know the country in a whole and also put money in in in, you know the the you know lower income uh, classes you know that's going to all help because it's going to keep money within our economies and and also give tax breaks to a lot of these companies to stay within the u.s obviously that's going to grow more jobs it's going to bring more production to the to the u.s it's inevitable. So people are having that confidence in our market now to put their money in the market again. Um, housing went up again. You know, hopefully it's not one of those bubbles, but housing went up again. And now they're saying that, you know, millennials are actually purchasing a lot of homes nowadays. And I believe it. I totally believe it because uh, I think it's a no brainer. Why would you pay uh, twenty four hundred dollars for a two bedroom uh, apartment in, uh, you know, 86th Street on Broadway? When you can, uh, you know, 
mortgage a house for twelve hundred bucks somewhere in Atlanta. That's five thousand square feet. Yeah. You know, four bedrooms. Even I mean, though it sort of makes sense. I don't know your situation. I'm I'm still renting yeah. an apartment. No, I'm chilling. We <laughs> well, our family owns our home. Nice. So and we've owned it for over 15, 16 years. Is it an apartment or a house? It's a house. It's a multifamily house. We have property. We have a backyard. I got a pool in my backyard. I think I'm one nice. of the only families in the Bronx with a pool. I'm quite jealous. Yeah. No, but we bust our ass for it. You know what I'm saying? And our equity alone is just like. Damn near, you know, I want to say went up over 30% in the last, what, 15 years? That's great for us, you know? Hey, I I do have a barbecue, though, which neither Jack or Brandon could say they have. I got got one. Of being on Long Island. Well, I got one in my front yard and one in my backyard because we don't like dragging it around. (laughs) (laughs) That's sick, man. Yo, because people who listen to the podcast who don't come to New York, they always assume that Long Island is the same as, yeah. And, And they're like, you live in New York. How do you own a gun? Because I've mentioned that on yeah. the podcast. I'm like, Long Island Long is not the same as... Up until Sandy Hook, yeah. you could own an AR in New York. Yeah. Yeah. So... Even in Connecticut as well. Connecticut's affected by a lot. I mean, that was, that was Sandy Hook, but Connecticut is affected by a lot over here as well. Because come Sandy Hook, while you was a business owner in Connecticut, which I was affected by this, you were able to apply for your concealed weapons license and not be a resident. But since Sandy Hook happened... You have to be a resident now of Connecticut to apply for a concealed weapons license, not just a business owner. So if you're a business owner in Connecticut and not a resident, you're kind of screwed, you know, making your cash deposits at night, which, you know, some areas in Connecticut are pretty gangster. <laughs> you you want to hear a crazy Connecticut law that I'm not sure mm. you know about that affected us? Let's see. Um, did you hear about it with the uh, the shield that you have for the backpack, the ballistic uh, no. insert? So, yeah, we... we Got those ballistic inserts for the Crate Club, for Premium Crate Club. We were able to send them to 49 states. Connecticut has some law that you can't sell... um, Body armor? Yeah, you can't sell body armor. Mm. And so we had to send those people in the Premium Crate Club uh, something else. We sent them a go bag, you know, which was all so cool. But, like, what a stupid state law. Why? Like, what are you going to do with that other than protect yourself from the bad guys? I I don't think you understand that some areas in Connecticut that uh, murders are almost a daily thing. It's pretty bad. The crack epidemic is still pretty serious over there. They still have these crazy housing projects over there where it's just, like, impossible to get in. Yeah, so, I mean, I it's would nuts. think that's a reason to have it, though, it's man. Nuts. You're an innocent woman on the train or I think what, or the, you have what the police are trying to do is keep it out the hands of those guys. Cause there's, a, there's a big, big illegal weapons thing, you know, when it comes to all those, you know, gangbangers and those hustlers out there. Like, it's serious out there. Connecticut is like a mini Chicago. Yeah, but I'd put it in the same category of the only thing that stops a bad guy with a gun is a good guy, guy with, with a gun. gun. And, yeah, exactly. And I don't think the bad guys are going to follow the rule, the laws for body armor. No, and no. So, I mean, they're not going to follow any laws. I mean, they're decided. They're already committed to a life of crime. Yeah, I mean, so, I mean I'm, yeah. I'm with you on that, bro. Believe me, I think it's retarded. But, yeah. you know, you want to justify it. I guess, you know, the liberal. You know, <laughs> they call it the Constitution State, too. That's what I find it funny, you know. I have to show you this. I referenced it on a uh, podcast with Brandon, but my friend uh, Raphael, who's a photographer, he's done photographer, uh, photography for me, but you would know this. Brandon doesn't even know who I'm referring to. He's actually DJ Who Kids photographer. What? So he got um, interviewed by InfoWars in the streets of New York City, and he's like a big conspiracy guy, so he's so excited about it. And some dude jumps in his shot, and my friend Raphael, like, has Snatch him up. He, he was ready to like beat this dude's ass. So I was showing it to Brandon, and, and he was like, you know, if that were to happen to me, I have um, 
he, he's just got certain things on him, you know, including pepper. Like, I don't know if it's pepper spray. He's got different things. He's like, yo, you shove this down some guy's nose. Like, well, they're done. So yeah. I was like, we got to send this out in Crate Club. And, and it, spray, was, yeah. it was making me wonder, like, can we send this legally mm. to all 50 states? And he's like, I don't know. I'm like, if we can, why not? But I think, I think pepper spray is one of those things that you can legally purchase anywhere. Especially for women's defense, you know what I'm saying? If we I, can, I, I say I see it on keychains a lot yeah. everywhere. So I think it's legal. It's pretty much legal. I say it's a good crate club. Maybe item. some of our listeners could you know fill us in on that. I mean, is it? I don't. I don't feel like googling guys. Safrep.radio. Safrep.com. Uh, with that, let's bring on Derek Yannon. Hello. Please state your name after the tone, and Google Voice will try to connect you. Whoa, that was loud. Safrep. <laughs> <laughs> hello derek jesus can you hear me <laughs> yes we can that was funny man uh, where the thing where it says state your name was like Urn! it was super loud <laughs> i was like what is this anyway i'm here with jason how's everything going what's up bro other than skype being a giant piece of shit uh, i'm doing pretty good <laughs> All right, I, I think we're good to go, man. I'll give you an intro, Bro, but you sound fine, man. You got some scotch with you or something? You got to relax. <laughs> you got to relax. Oh, dude, I'm fucking mad. I see. I'm mad. You like you want to punch Skype in the face. <laughs> Fuck Skype. <laughs> we got to keep that. I, I like have that. to keep it in here. <laughs> you know what? I usually don't keep this stuff in, audience, I'm but I'm, we're keeping Skype. that in. So. Oh, Yes, is, is this live? I'm sorry. No, no, we're never live. live. We're, we're gonna, but I'm gonna keep it oh, in there because it's funny. I like the fuck Skype. We gotta <laughs> use that shit. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, I well, technically, it's my fault. I, it's my fault. I don't use Windows. I use Linux. So I'm sure that's my fault somewhere. All good, man. So joining us is Green Beret writer for Softrep, Derek Gannon, uh, who you could follow on Twitter at Derek Gannon CM6. Uh, man, there's a whole lot of stuff to get into. Uh, you know, I, I see this petition that you did now is 88,000 signatures. So I think we'll get into that later. But the first thing uh, is that you really broke the story on the Green Berets killed in Niger and, and what really went down before the rest of the mainstream media. And, and uh, I should say Derek's kind of been a victim of when we had the uh, paywall of mm-hmm. not having his episodes for everyone to hear. So this is the first time in a while we're doing like a full episode with Derek. Um, so good to have you on here, man. And well, hey, thanks for, thanks for having me and well-deserved Derek, because I love your writing, bro. Your writing is like, Who, me? Mine? Yeah, no, bro. It's super informative. Like when I read your shit, it's really, really, really informative, man. Like I learn a lot from your writing. Well, that shit. God damn. Well, thanks, man. <laughs> I didn't know this. Was Are gonna, you blushing? I didn't know you were gonna bro? Do that. Stop blushing. Come on. Cut it out. I'm a little, I'm a little I'm a little blushing on that one. Thanks. Are you naked? Because I know I know you write I know you write naked and stuff in your like the office chair. So are you naked right now? I have. Well, I put. It, I don't like sweating in a leather seat, so I put on some like underwear. <laughs> you got the anti sweater on. I don't like. It's like that yeah. uh, Alex Collins like that. quote I mentioned, where he's like, "I didn't become an internet writer to wear pants." So before we get into the details, I of, didn't. I didn't actually. <laughs> yeah, he's crazy. <laughs> I didn't get into writing a word, dude. Before we get into the details of uh, of the Africa situation, I kind of I, I've heard I've heard stories from when you broke that story. Yeah. That I want to say DOJ came to the table and offered you guys uh, press credits. 
No. Oh, <laughs> no. who's saying no. that? Uh, I don't know who said that. <laughs> uh, uh, no, it wasn't Department of Defense, or excuse me, not Department, uh, Department of Justice. Of Justice. It, oh, okay. it was actually no one. Uh, the people that were approaching, at least me and the team at SoftRep, were who the who the first who the hell are you and second how did you get this information i think that's what it was and then my yeah. favorite that is once we told them the, the first and second orders uh, the third one was do you hate the army that was the, the most amazing question who the hell Someone asked you asked that me. question uh oh actually it was a public affairs officer um he's a good guy though uh, he just i think i think soft rep has been as blindsided special operations command on a few things. Um, and the Niger thing, I'm not talking shit. Well, I'm a little bit cool. The articles in, in the teamwork that we did with breaking the Niger story kind of honestly, um, they couldn't, they couldn't push this into the whole gun nut blogger realm anymore. We kind of, uh, we kind of punched that one in the face and even the mainstream media started picking up on, a lot of the reporting that we were doing over at SoftRep. So I think the, I think the public affairs officers and special operations command and, and, and other commands are kind of, they're like, Oh shit. Uh, there's a bunch of veterans, soft veterans that actually understand the operations, uh, mission sets and capabilities. And now they're, they're, they're freaking journalists. Now we're writing about it. And, and I think that. And uh, still have sources. Uh, and still have active retired and very actively active community members that, that, that are, uh, that, that, I don't know, I guess talk to us. I shouldn't say that they're ratting any, they're not ratting, no. but they're talking to us. The, the interesting thing is that I think, I believe the community, uh, the community, special operations, veteran and active duty community is pretty fickle when it comes to soft rep. One story, they could absolutely love you for a couple of days. And then you, you drop another one about, you know, two Navy SEALs possibly the death of green them. And they, they hate you again. Yeah, and we'll get into that in a little bit. Yeah, and I do want to get into that story. Um, with the Green Berets killed in Niger, one of the interesting things um, that I thought was the mainstream media, and actually Jason follows a lot more mainstream media than I do, but I think you could back me up on this and you can correct me if I'm wrong. They almost ignored that entire story until Trump spoke to a, one of the uh, mothers or widows, right? And then that became the yeah. big story over why these Green Berets were actually killed. That, you know, yeah, isn't that messed up? Of yeah, course. Because he was criticized on how he uh, offered his condolences to the widow. Yeah, and what's the more important story? Yeah, what's Green the Berets story? killed yeah. or how Trump spoke to a widow? Exactly. And it, Green Berets killed. Yeah. <laughs> that's, it's just the freaking liberal media, and that's, that's how they're going to spin every freaking story. You know? And they kind of well, overshine their, the, the, the reality of the situation. The... There is no middle ground anywhere in politics or in the media. And, you know, I, I, I'm willing to admit that even soft reps reporting on the incident was a holistically ignored by the mainstream to include the Pentagon press, uh, press corps, uh, mainly because the Pentagon attention to independent journalism. Plus they had already set up a cover your ass type of scenario that we were desperately trying to get ahead of. Uh, but the problem is, is as soon the problem is the problem is as soon as Americans realize that there is Americans, American soldiers in, in Africa in a place they can't, they don't even know where it is on the map, let alone how they can pronounce it. You don't know, have a clue guys, how many people I've told it's Niger, not Nigeria. Or technically Niger. You could say either, right? 
or it's Niger. I like to throw the French on it because you know it's it's, it's it's the French Africa, so Niger. You know, it's like saying Tarjay. But the, the I, I even was like posting up. I, I wrote an op-ed about some stuff. You know, like the the NFL protest that the vice president and the White House decided to spend two hundred fifty thousand dollars on at the NFL. That was day six of the White House completely ignoring the fact that four special operations soldiers mm-hmm. and killed with one of them missing for two hours or for two days, by the way, for yeah, 48, 48 hours. hours, missing in action. Instead, they went for the NFL. And my point was, it's now day six. It's now day three. It's now day two. It's now day one. It's now day, you know, all these, there's no word from the White House. And as soon as the story caught, it all of a sudden gotten that we've been in Africa for two decades and the majority of the buildup came from Obama administration. Yep. Completely went after the Trump administration. And I did as well. I found it very interesting that the day that, that Le- David Johnson's body was actually found Trump and a, a air force veteran, Lindsey Graham went to go play 36 rounds of golf. And instead of doing anything now, now the way he handled it, guys, I don't give a shit. What you say was absolute garbage. It was the blame game. But what the media did was turn it into a political fucking football, politicize veterans, and then inadvertently tried to politicize uh, the the special forces Green Beret community and Green Beret team itself as some untrained, you know, infantile, you know, babes left out in the woods with no support. And therefore, you know, this, this is this Trump's fault. I have no clue how people get to that. But the mainstream media hasn't been watching Africa at all yeah. and definitely hasn't been watching U.S. involvement and military inv- involvement in Africa. So when they, they are presented with this, this amazing story like Niger, where you have 50-plus ISIS, ISIS in the greater, uh, greater Sahara, this yeah. new terrorist organization, uh, basically laying waste to an SF team and their 30 uh, indigenous host nation forces, the only thing that they know about is to – grasp at the political you know, political football straws which mm-hmm. is veterans and donald trump so let's my opinion shit that's all we are we're all opinionated here but go on i want to hear it no that's my opinion oh I that's think, your I opinion think, so i think uh, the mainstream media i think the mainstream media without any knowledge whatsoever of u.s operations outside of uh, of the two name, named places that most americans mm-hmm. have completely ignored for 16 years iraq and afghanistan it blows their minds and then you got guys like nick terse who spent his life creating a shadowy world of special forces, basically giving people Colombian neckties. Now, if you don't know what a Colombian <laughs> necktie is, it's basically <laughs> like you walk up behind someone, cut their throat from ear to ear, and you pull their tongue out, slot. That's called a Colombian necktie. Uh, you know, we're not doing that, and there really isn't a shadow war there. It's just, it's just it's Africa, and most first worlders don't really pay attention to a world that they still consider people running around in loincloths and speaking a different language. So let's, they do they look at Africa. let's get into some details. Um, and from what I know, and you can fill in, you know, help me out here um, because I was okay. just as ignorant as I guess, you know, the, uh, the, re- the rest of the population. So from what I understand is once Obama defunded uh, the war on terror, should I say, back in 2014, he didn't really take that budget and uh, reinsert it into our economy. He actually just shifted it from Afghanistan to Africa. And from there, uh, we started establishing, you know, special forces relationship with all the, uh, you know, the other uh, forces in Africa, putting them together. And from what I understand, it's been going on since 2014 that uh, uh, special opera or special forces have been over there training up uh, the the Chadanians and the the, uh, forces of Nigeria. 
and uh, other uh, obviously other um, uh, sub-Saharan or greater Saharan uh, forces. So, uh, you know, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Am I somewhere in the area, the ballpark? Let's get ready to ride. You, you, you got a good grip? Fuck I'm yeah, bro. for a trip. Let's do it. The United States Green Berets have been in the continent and in countries of Africa since 1967. <laughs> the United States has had special forces in Africa since 19... Active special forces joint operations in Africa since 1977. So we've been there for a very, very, very long time. Now, who the, who the hell besides someone like me who, who, who thinks who thinks reading books on Kindle is more important than actually owning them is that in, in the early eighties, Africa and continent, especially West Africa and uh, portions of the North portion uh, were being wholesale parsed out by the big five because Africa used to be owned by the, the French, the English, the Americans, the Germans, everybody kind of just peeled off what they wanted from the continent of Africa. And, and of course, when after world war II, that collapsed. So let's fast forward to, at least the 20th century. Let's get into there. So in the 80s and 90s, there was a lot of special operations activities going on in Africa. Some of them were clandestine proxies. Uh, there was a lot huge Soviet influence in, in Africa back in the early, in, during the Cold War, specifically in Angola, Sudan, before it was split. Uh, a lot of these places still harbor and maintain a lot of working relationships with both China and Russia. And those countries brought in their special operations. We're not the only country that has special operations and started to rebuild the economy. Uh, close to the 90s, uh, you know, early 90s, we had Desert Storm 1. So everybody started focusing on the Middle East and everyone and almost all countries really actually enjoyed the fact that nobody was really paying attention to Africa. Mm. So let's fast forward again into the, into the early 2000s. And you had mentioned 2014. The third special forces group that that's was, this was the group of the group that these special, these green berets were assigned to in Niger third special forces groups area of operations or where they work at has always been sub-Sahara Africa. It's always been West Africa, Chad, uh, the DRC, which is the democratic, the, the Congo, uh, you know, mm-hmm. Tanzania, all these other places has always been sparsed out. So let's get into frontier. So, Early 2001, we all know that 9-11, what happened in 9-11? Africa was still going on. There was a lot of genocidal issues, a lot of tribal and clan conflicts, but it really wasn't organized terrorism as of yet. So everyone started focusing on the, the authorized use of military force on terrorist organizations that was written 18 September 2001, a couple days, literally a couple days after 9-11. And President Bush put this into, into, into power, which gave it, it gave the United States the Patriot Act and a blanket global war on terror on active terrorist organizations known as Al Qaeda. This kicked us off into the Iran, excuse me, not the Iran thing, that's later, that's in a couple of years, the Iraq war and Afghanistan. Af- Afghanistan's October 7th was uh, America's response to 9 11. Fifth Special Forces Group Green Berets go into Afghanistan. Seven of those teams, having no, little to no combat experience in the, modern, in the modern world, took over that country in eight weeks. So let's focus on Afghanistan. Afghanistan then became Operation Enduring Freedom, right? And this is a part of the global war on terror mm-hmm. author, authorized by the AUMF. In 2014, we had been at war for a while, and Afghanistan was grinding down, and, and the United States governmental process, along with the mainstream media, has holistically pushed Afghanistan and Iraq out of, out of the mainstream media and away from American eyes, and that war still continues. But 
the biggest thing the Obama administration wanted to do on their second run was to get us out of Af- Afghanistan and both wars, actually. So in 2014, the official announcement came in, in excuse me, let me back up. Official announcement of that, of that drawdown came in 2012, 2013, if you guys remember. Mm-hmm. By 20, what, what the plan was, was they were going to shut down the, the Operation Enduring Freedom battle areas right they were now going to actually turn it into somewhat of like what i like to call a 19th the, the reimagining of a hearts and minds when they start sending in uh Soccer support battalions computers, to yeah. train <laughs> are you guys good yeah come on man don't worry about <laughs> me <laughs> sorry so that shit was going down so in oaf the, the funding and, and the troop count in oaf needed to go somewhere in 2007, 2008, uh, Al-Shabaab and Islamic State started getting really hot and heavy in Africa, especially Horn of Africa and North Africa with Libya, Benghazi, and Serte. So there was a lot of movement. A lot of these guys in Afghanistan and Iraq that fought the Americans during o- o- Operation Iraqi Freedom and Operation Enduring Freedom were going home. They're going back to Somalia, Etruria, uh, Tanzania. Uh, you get the point. Chad, Niger, Nigeria, all these other places, and starting up their own homegrown terrorist organization. So the special operations community had to shift and they needed the money to. So when they shut down OEF Afghanistan, they, all they did was brief flag Operation Enduring Freedom Afghanistan to Operation Enduring Freedom Trans-Sahara. So they just basically moved the global war on terror under the AUMF that was signed 18, 18 September 2001. They added the Islamic State to it. They didn't addend it. They just added the Islamic State to it because the AUMF is basically was for the Taliban and Al Qaeda. Mm-hmm. And then they transferred that funds, the, the troop count and equipment count to mainly Horn of Africa, East Africa, to include Chad. And then the special forces that were there, 10th group took over for third group because third group owned Afghanistan exclusively. So once Afghanistan shut down and they transferred their money third group went back to take over Africa, their original area of responsibility away from 10th group. I feel like within that so rant, that was, that was more within one rant from Derek than the mainstream media has covered Africa in uh, how many years? You know I what I mean? I tried to do this on headline news and they just kept cutting. like, tell me how much you don't like Trump. I'm like, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> yeah, dude, you're taking me <laughs> to school right now, bro. You are taking me to school right now and I love it. No, I, I do too. So, are we, so we're caught up now. So this, this is 2014. So now we're caught up. So now you guys know if, if you've read any of my work, yes. I jam. I, I moved away from West Africa because uh, Mokhtar Belmokhtar is actually, Ian, if you remember, is the reason why I actually found Sofrep. was hunting this guy, and, and I was writing up really – if you go back, Jason, you'll realize that my writing has progressed. I used to write intel briefings. Mm. But I was doing a lot of the research on Mokhtar Bel Mokhtar, which we can get into later when, yeah. we, when we kind of deep dive the, the ambush. And I focused a lot on West Africa and Al-Qaeda and Maghreb terror networks. But then you know, Al-Shabaab showed up in 2007 and just went to it. New Gucci mm-hmm. terrorist organization, very young, very young group, very violent, very ultraviolent, hates the Islamic State and is very African- African caliphate nationalist centrist. They're all Salafists, which is a, you know, that apocalyptic view of Sharia law, like is uh, radical Islamic, you know, religion. Mm-hmm. So, you know, 
that money that the Obama administration had had allotted started putting in drone bases in in Niamey, for example, uh, uh, Niger, the capital of Niger, for example, uh, Morocco, Algeria, Benin, Chad became the central point of Africa, and Chad is actually one of our counterterrorism terror, uh, you know, counterterrorism uh, supporters and allies in the African con- country, uh, the continent of Africa. So. That kind of became the focal point for both U.S. and U.K. and French special operations was uh, was uh, Agadez and, and Injamina and Chad, where the French have been running an operation since 2013, actually, Jason, called Operation Barkhani, which was designed to the French Foreign Legion, French Special Forces, along with the Algerian, uh, I, I, I'm going to say GRS, but it doesn't mean... Yeah, 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 I get it. The GRS that we know. <laughs> Algerian GRS and t- intel agencies to push out about a, out of the uh, the Sahel, the Sahel or the or the, the Saharan Desert, the Sub-Saharan Desert. So, uh, Step. What? Who's S T T E P? Who's that? Step International. Oh, um, they're an independent. Step International is an independent uh, 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 threat mitigation uh, kind of like think tank. You got to pay for their their analysis, <laughs> but they're 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 spot on. Right I on. think that's I think that's what you're talking. Yeah. So I, from what I understand, it was uh, the, the uh, I don't I don't want to say Nigerians. And how do you what, what do you call the the the, the people of Niger? Nigerians. Nigerians. Not the, Nigerians. 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 Yeah, I just wanted to make sure. No, I like I don't want to throw in what you yeah. know. Did you see South Park? <laughs> did you guys see South Park the other night? No. Oh, because they, they, they talked about the whole Niger thing and they threw in, like, oh you know, God. what could sound like a racial slur. Like, they were, <laughs> they were playing on that whole thing. It was, it was actually Dude, very Honestly, funny. that's that's just the, the, the uh, liberal media trying to downplay the situation. I, I, I was. Yeah. Hey, the South Park, Park funny, but come on now. I, I, dude, I consider South Park more right-leaning than anything. Yeah, you're right. They, get, they, they no. let everybody get it. They don't give that's a fuck. That's what I like. They let they everybody, let everybody get it. Yeah. They're an equal opportunity uh, shit talker. So they, 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 I don't even think they have a political leaning. <laughs> <laughs> so the uh, the Chadanians and the uh, Nigerians they actually worked in joint uh, ambushes and joint for, uh, joint forces to actually go after some of the heads of uh, Boko Haram, right? Am I correct? Hell yeah! Okay, so let's break into that. So yeah, Boko Haram. Everybody, everybody remembers the "Bring Back Our Girls" hashtag uh, mm-hmm. campaign that failed miserably. That the Obama administration, uh, well, uh, the first lady Michelle Obama started right. She held up the signs to yes, bring sir. back our girls. And that's in reference to the 300 uh, uh, females. Now, now we're talking about Nigeria, not Niger, uh. northern Nigeria, around the Mar uh, the Maridurgo area, in a very a very Fulani heavy northern Nigeria, where a, a, mo- the majority of the uh, ethnic ethnic Muslims and ethnic Fulani, which is a clan, a nomadic clan, kind of reside. So, in uh, you know, my my main man who. <laughs> Ian loves when I say this dude's name because I say it wrong every time. Abu Bakr Shakal. That's not the Boko that's Haram. not the name I give you. No, you always say we always give you shit. That you always say Boko Haram instead of Boko Haram. <laughs> yeah, it's like harem, right? I always say it like Boko Haram, but it's not. It's Haram is is, is no. You yeah. say Boko Raham. Oh, do I? Yeah. How do I? Well, you the guy Abu Bakr and his band of merry men in northern Nigeria and you know, kidnapped 300 girls and moved them up to Northern Nigeria to kind of sell them human trafficking because Abu Bakr Shakao is not a smart guy. Mm. 
uh, he's learning from the, the Arab influence, the Arabic influenced jihadists that were selling humans, selling women and children, uh, for money, uh, for their causes, you know, Gal Mali, Gal Mali, which is a city, a town in Southern Mali, which is a, is a, is a, is a hub of, uh, it's a black market hub for it's a it's a conduit for illicit illicit drugs, human trafficking, men, weapon, and equipment to go to Europe, and uh, and then on the back end go back even towards India. It's it's a it's a ma- it's always been a major stop on the Silk Road, it's like, the trade route. It's like Chinatown in New York. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, I'm sure someone's getting some someone's selling somebody in Chinatown in New you York. Want, I, you it's, want it's that so, roadie? Yeah. You could get it out here. <laughs> Go out of So what's cool about it's what's cool about what the Chadians did was the Chadians formed a joint uh, multinational African national uh, unit, if you will, like like an African Rainbow Six. Uh, I know I'm going to get made fun of for saying that, but it's kind of technically this, what it what it was. With Chad, the the U.S. Special Forces trained Chadian troops leading the way. But what was cool about it is that there's a a, a friend of soft reps, a friend of Jack's, uh, also a well known. Uh, godfather or legend in the private military, you know, world, even Barlow from South Africa, the Chadeans, the Chadean government, I believe it was the Chadean or actually the Nigerian government approached his group to send up, uh, you know, some, I hate saying this, some private military folks, people are going to use the M word with that. And he sent up a bunch of, uh, uh, you know, train to trainer type of guys some some subject matter experts that he had run in with his group. And, and in, I think, I think it was two weeks. I even reported on it two weeks. They pushed Boko Haram so far deep into the, into the, uh, uh, Cebu, the, into the forest region that they found, they found their main, uh, sound like we're talking about like Saturday morning cartoons. They found their, they found Boko Haram's honeycomb hideout and blew the shit out of it and sent, uh, Abu Bakr, his second in command and, and whatever was left in Boko Haram into Niger. Mm. So they took off into Niger. So they weren't they, they weren't originally into Niger. They were pushed into Niger. They they tried to take they try to make a stronghold in uh, I think the 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 the, the uh, Lake Chad Basin right around that area. That's that was their stronghold. Was got the, it. Was the lake, oh, it was the their Chad stronghold, Basin. and then they got the crap beat out of them and pushed into Niger. That's okay. That's where okay. That's where yeah. that's clarified. All right, cool. So that's so in the Nigerian military. Uh, before receiving a training in, in, in the, in the train advised assist mission set from, you know, special fort from the green berets, they weren't really set up to watch or, or actively counter a lot of these, you know, Islamic state uh, forces moving through. Niger is massive, by the way, it's a but huge state, they, but they didn't it's have the forces country. to deal with the, the actual problem. No, all they did was observe, observe. and report. Mm-hmm. That's basically what they did. So the Americans use their use their now. There's no armed drones in Niger. That is a Nigerian government status of forces agreement. Okay. That is why uh, uh, they didn't have any direct air support via a, a Reaper. They only had predators. So these anything that's unarmed, I always call preds or predators. Reapers are the ones with the hellfires. And uh, that's another reason. Another another one of the major mitigating factors is is why the French mirages didn't drop bombs during the ambush. One of which is they didn't, they didn't have authorization from the Nazarian government to do kinetic strikes. And two, the ambush was so massive and it, uh, fluid, they couldn't tell friend from foe. So 
you know, they erred on the side of caution and did a low level flyover, kind of like what we saw in 13 hours where the, uh, you know, the CIA operators like do a low level fuck you flyover and we'll make these guys think twice. That's literally what they did with the mirages and what got the French Pumas in to get the Americans out. So Niger wasn't set up tactically or militarily to deal with Boko Haram uh, and Sardine. And now this new slice element, the Islamic State in the greater Sahara, and to include the Islamic State in Libya. Because if you look, if you look at the map after you guys listen to the show or pull it up on your computer right now, you'll notice that Niger is a giant, porous country. And it's, a, it's every, anybody you can think of, to include the Fulani nomadic tribes, still utilize 19th, 18th, 17th century you know, trade routes to move through that country unimpeded, they don't have the resources and or men or equipment to even mark the borders efficiently. They don't even really know the northern part of Nigeria is still uncharted. And it's such an austere place. They needed needed a larger, you know, big brother international friend to help them out. And they got that by way of the United States. And what the United States did was instead of sending a bunch of Americans over, they inflated – the, they inflated their budgetary requirements and training requirements into the African Union and allowed this, this thing to start happening in the African Union where they say African, prob- African problems, African solutions for African problems because they wanted to put an African face on that. So, and that came from CENCOM and SOCOM to, to kind of ramp back having a bunch of uh, uh, American special forces doing the work instead of why don't you have them train by the CIS and build a, a, a larger force. So what they did was they brought Chad in to sit on the north, the northeastern portion of Nigerian borders that that borders that uh, that borders Nigeria and Chad in the Lake Chad Basin, and their job was basically to to disrupt and route and eventually destroy uh, Boko Haram supply routes, training camps, and eventually their 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 effectiveness. Uh, and they came in and they did that, and they've been holding those bo- that border, the north northeastern border of Niger, uh, since what was it, 2014? Effectively, correct? Effectively, as, effect- as effective as fuck. You have to understand, it's, the Chadian military is has received almost direct special operations training. Yeah, special operations and conventional military, you army or military training from the United States since its inception. So. The, the, the Chad model of counterinsurgency, counterterrorism is a successful one. So Derek, which leads me down the path of why yeah. the why the hell is it on and, a travel ban? And that's what I want to fast forward to. You just fucking nailed it. Why in God's name did we put a travel ban on Chad if they are actively fighting Boko Haram and ISGS? That is an amazing question. It baffles me, and I, I, I'm by no means a, a Oxford or Columbia-educated expert in African you know, regions or territories or, or anything else. But if you I think you're better guy, than, than most of them, Derek, shit, honestly. You, you well, taught I, me more I, than I, most. I, I talk to the guys. I, I nod my head a lot. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I totally get that. And then you know, I go home and Google 90% of what the hell they're talking about and then Urban Dictionary it so I can write it to people that can, so they can read it. <laughs> But if you talk to professor, this guy named Professor Paul Williams wrote an amazing book, uh, uh, War and Conflict in Africa, that's literally tracked it. And he, I talked to him, and I'm like, so what do you think of this, tr- this Chad travel ban? And he just he's like, it baffles me. 
Bye. That is ridiculous. So, Jason, this is for you. Uh, through a couple of my good friends, I was able to get a hold of uh, the State Department spokesperson, uh, spokesperson uh, Heather Nauert. Okay. Who's the, the current sp- uh, uh, public, public spokesperson for the State Department. And I asked her the same question. And here's, the, here's how I asked her is that she, told, she gave me the canned answer, which is uh, first of the year around was April. He, uh, the, the Trump administration issued their first 90-day travel ban. They left out the 90 days. They just said, oh, it's a, it's a Muslim ban. Because technically, if you think about it, if you think technically – it is a Muslim. It is the, most of the majority of the ba- travel ban. It, do, it does reside on mostly majority Muslim countries. Granted, so, yeah, mainstream media with a twist of words. Donald Trump has now become Islamophobic. Mm-hmm. I'm a political. I have my opinion on that. I'm just that's not part of the point. So what she was telling me was that the Trump administration had put these several of these countries on 90 day notice that they needed to correct the way that they, that they biometrically and paperwork wise track internally displaced persons or actually externally displaced refugees. that are either leaving their country and traveling throughout it. They wanted, they wanted to have assurances that, that places like goddamn South Sudan and Sudan aren't having massive leaks of potential radicalized folks. Yeah, which is otherwise. yeah, which is a legitimate concern because let's just be honest. A lot of these guys getting these visas, the proof of these visas. I mean, they're they're in their mid twenties, and there's nothing on paper about them prior to them showing up to the uh, embassies or the consulates for their paperwork. So, I mean, uh, so let, let's fast forward to what's the situation now on hand with the Chidanian forces pulling away from the borders. I got a question. Oh, yeah. I got a question for you within that. So you can go on and explain this to me, but. Knowing the inevitable outcome, Derek, do you think the Chidanians are actually just allowing ISGS or Boko Haram to come in? Because that's obviously inevitable to come in and eventually just create some sort of Islamic state like we had in Raqqa or Mosul in the Chidanian Basin or, you know, where this conflict took place in Tonga Tonga. Mm-hmm. I agree with you. I think what I think I think. Okay, so I believe that Chad pulled 2,500 of their troops out of northeast Niger specifically. I mean, the day after they were put on the indefinite travel ban list is the day after that, they gave out blanket orders that we're pulling our troops. We're pulling our troops from Niger. We're pulling our troops from the border, and we're bringing them back to Chad. And even the Chad's prime minister, Chad's uh, secretary to the United Nations Security Council, and the overall I don't know what you call it. I'm assuming he's the president. Cabinet are furious. They have no idea why they're on the travel ban. So they pulled their troops. I'm like, why are we going to support a UN, UN, UK, French, and US-backed counterinsurgency operation when the United States just put us on an indefinite travel ban because along with six other countries, I'm not counting North Korea because North Korea doesn't have a state. So that's a stupid travel ban it's a dumb travel ban they're all in with seven other states at seven other countries within africa that are actively dealing with an active counterterrorism and terrorism issue within radical islamic terrorists it even happened yeah, it, 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 iraq actually was on that travel ban as well which i think 
but they pulled them. They pulled, they Iraq pulled them off. out because they wouldn't they reissue visas to the contractors in country. So you know how are you going to continue to make those millions without those visas? So they had to pull them off. You know what I mean? I mean, so your question isn't that far off. It, think about it. Chad's pissed at the United States. Chad, and this is this is another thing. This is what Miss Nauer, Mrs. Nauer was explaining to me. Was Chad is, is on the indefinite travel ban list because it was given ninety days to correct its, to correct its paperwork trails on these folks, and it didn't do it. It wasn't doing it. But, my, but there's but a rumor my, out there. Derek, there's my, another story. Go on, out go on. And it deals with Exxon, mm. and it deals with Rex Tillerson. What about it? Now let me give you a background on this. Ch- Exxon Mobil owes the nation of Chad $718 billion with a B. That is eight times, eight to 12 times larger than the nation of Chad's gross national product that, that Exxon owes them in back unpaid royalties. Whoa. It also owes them 100-something to $200 million on contract, contract withdrawals or mitigation. And the Chadian government... Last, actually, right before Mr. Tillerson took over for the, the, the Secretary of State, um, ceased all of Exxon's oil refinery, production, and crude oil movement to the terminals in their country until they paid them damn near close to a trillion dollars in back unpaid royalties. Now, Tillerson goes as Secretary of State. Exxon and the government of Chad go into private and and whatever it's, and then something is, is handled out of court. Mm -hmm. Six months later, Chad gets up and ends up on the ban list and Sudan gets a pass. And here's where it's great. Cause Sudan during this whole time, during this, even during this 90 day period was actively importing and purchasing weapons, equipment, and material from North Korea through a Chinese trade company. But they were given the pass. Sudan got a pass. And you want to know why they got a pass? Because they played ball. Because of of Salva Kiir's commitment to the United States in clearing the southern portion of the Upper Nile region of South Sudan, where 88% of their oil reserves are sitting right now. Sudan, through rumors promised the United States that they would sever ties with Russia, allow the United States to, to, uh, to get, come back into the oil, the oil fields of Sudan in a bigger footprint. Now, Exxon and U.S. oil have been in Sudan since the 80s, and I, I, that is a massive thing. That is, that, is an, that is a rumor mill opinion to which Mrs. Nauert said that, you know, Secretary Tillerson... Uh, had already left the company, had no involvement whatsoever in the African goings on of the oil company, which surprises me because if you're the chief executive officer of ExxonMobil, wouldn't you not know about it like off the top of your head, but wouldn't you have like a staffer be like, hey, this is what's going down in Africa at, at, at these, these areas and locations? I mean, let's uh, be honest. They, they, he knew, okay? That's, you don't, you don't uh, run a you know, company. I, yeah, come I'm on. Sure fuck that. Be did. honest. Yeah. I'm sure he did, but Mrs. But the, the, the Secretary of State and the State Department uh, spokesperson were nice enough to answer these questions, and basically it came back was that Mr. Secretary Tillerson had no oversight whatsoever of that, was mm. already on his way out a, a year before the, the, the Chadians uh, sued for uh, unpaid royalties, and that it had just no bearing whatsoever on Chad being added to the, the, the indefinite travel ban list 
the fact that they can't do good paperwork on uh, internally displaced persons or externally displaced refugees prior to them jumping on an aircraft and coming to the United States or elsewhere uh, isn't happening. Crazy shit, man. Hey, Derek, if it's okay, I want to jump in. I want to make sure that we get to two other major topics, if that's all right. Okay. Um, Okay. The first of which, as I mentioned earlier, the petition that you started at change.org, it's safe to say is is gaining a lot of steam. 88,000 signatures to stop the issuance of the Green Beret to the U.S. Army First Security Force Assistance Brigade. Um, I was not knowledgeable about this whole situation. I was talking about it with Jason. <laughs> you can't even say it without laughing. It's funny. <laughs> well, I was talking with with you about it earlier, yeah. and, and you want to yeah. give your opinion on it, Jason? Because well, uh, I think this is not the first time they did this to this, uh, the SF community. Correct? I, I want, no, it isn't. Yeah, especially with no, the whole beret deal and the color of the beret uh, situation. To me, it's it's just another. I'm gonna call it what it is: another BS unit or BS commander that wants to kind of put himself on the same tier as SOCOM or the special operations community because of one reason or another. Maybe he couldn't hack it or maybe he didn't get orders to it or whatever. Now he's got this authority to start his own unit and he's trying to steal the thunder and and, and just absorb the thunder from the special operations community. I don't know. That's what it feels like to me. And when you were saying that earlier... This is a legacy move. When when you were saying earlier, Jason, you're talking about the Shinseki thing, right? Yeah, exactly. I remember that as well. I was in the army for that. That was horrible. That's ridiculous. That was the worst decision I've ever seen in my life. And the Rangers didn't didn't take too kindly to that. It actually took several years before people stopped getting beat up for wearing a black beret, and then now they get them a tan beret. The truth is, you're, Shinseki, you're, that was Shinseki's yeah. legacy. See, when he became the U.S. Army, when he became chief of staff, uh, you know, he 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 had to have an idea. It, there, this is and this is what we're dealing with right now. Fast forward to, you guys know that the chief of staff of the United States Army, General Milley, he called me. Right? He like no called way. me up because no of the petition. He's in well, charge. You, got, of you have eighty. Base. You have eighty. What? Eighty one. Eighty eighty thousand signatures. It's uh. Yeah, 88,000 88, signatures. Now, you have it almost needs 100,000. Yeah, you, you're so, almost there, brother. Of course, you're making headway. But and I, I think this podcast will help, guys. Stop. So if, if you're listening, go to change.org. You'll see, you know, and I'll link it. I'll link it on softrep.com yeah. to the episode. But you'll see a uh, petition, Stop Issuance of the Green Beret to the U.S. Army First Security Force Assistance Brigade. Um, I mean, that's huge, dude. And congrats to you. I mean, you did this outside Ooh. of just softrep. It's your own your own uh, creation. I didn't do it. In, I didn't want to, I didn't want I, Cause I was, I was actually tapping into the, into the community, into the special, the green beret community and it, the green beret community. It's all on committee. It really is. And I presented this. I was like, Hey, I got these pictures. This goddamn beret looks exactly like ours. I, there is no such thing as Brown, all Brown green. It's all of drab. Civilians cannot change, tell the difference between it. Plus I started doing the research. Now the petition, there is nothing. In, I, I personally don't have a problem with this, with the first SFAB whose mission set is to train and advise combat advisors. If you go and look, you can see the patches. I mean, these things are, they have complete, the thing is that none of us have a problem with the mission. Go for it. None of us do. Of course not. The problem is, is that you're co-opting our heritage. Well, isn't you're giving there a patch these kids who didn't that- train Green Beret. You're giving them a tab. You're giving them an arrowhead patch that looks like the old Recondo. Thing. And then I've been on their page and they, they talk about themselves as an elite unit within the United States Army where they do special operations missions of train, advise, and assist. 
And they also, you know, they called themselves the Legion. Now, Fifth Group's been known as the Legion since, since <laughs> Vietnam. So then that's when a lot of the guys were like, no, nah, fuck this. So then I looked up the person that created this, this unit. And it was, it was General Milley. Now, General Milley is an active duty long tab holder, which means he's a Special Forces qualified Green Beret. That's now the chief, the chief of the United States U.S. Army Chief of Staff who created the first SBAB and literally slipped this entire thing, berets, tabs, patches, and arrowhead, and arrowhead patches completely under the radar. And out, out of the limelight, because nobody knew about this, and out of the limelight, so the mission with the, the, the issue that, that the Special Forces Brotherhood active and retired have uh, is the co-opting of our heritage. The mission itself... Yeah. And the heritage co-opting came from a Green Beret himself, a Green Beret general officer. And this is his legacy. So here's... And so... Yeah, go on. So my my assessment of it, and this is what I I think you're getting at, and correct me if I'm wrong, bro, I just... just this is you're not you're not upset with the fact that they might be doing special operation like training when it comes to foreign uh, military training or some type of FMT, some type of foreign military training unit. You're not worried. But the problem is they're taking away from the actual Green Berets history. I believe they are. I believe they're taking away from the lineage and, her, and, and heritage of the Green Beret community and the Green Beret you know, history. You're absolutely right. But you need to focus on the fact that General Milley is a former fifth group commander, fifth special forces group. He, you know, he knows what the Legion means. He knows that the beret is green. He knows it's green. Brown? No, it's green. He knows it's green. He knows that there's a tab. He knows that there's, there's a, some sort of weird selection process to be a part of this. And then the mission set itself, I look at it as from a tactical standpoint, it'd be great to have regular army guys come in and train up new recruits and then when we show up we get like the cream of the crop you know what i mean they're already trained in basic rifle marksmanship they're already trained in how to move you know okay these guys show special aptitudes so then we start training up commandos while these training advisors assist Mm. regular folks train up new guys so it kind of streamlines the process right yeah the problem is is that the general general milley called me and explained all of this to me and you know, he had my DD form 214 in front of him. He's like, do I call you Sergeant First Class Gannon or do I call you Derek? I, I was like, well, I've been retired for six years. Are you dropping you weight on Derek, us right sir. now? Are you dropping weight on us? Did you just drop some weight? <laughs> yeah, yeah, just shit. He's like, well, I see you were in fifth or sixth. I'm like, yeah, I, I mean, I, I was. I was. Uh, I'm a legionnaire. SBQR till I die. But, however, I, I, I talked to him. It was a really good discussion and and. And not, an, and not 15 minutes later, like before he hung with the phone, he's like, no, nah, I'm going to go over and talk to the Army Times lady mm. because she's the one who started all this, these problems. Which reporters and, uh, do a lot, by the way. They like to misconstrue and, and, and like exaggerate titles and words. So it's, I, I kind of get it. Yeah. My point is this, is that General Milley was trying to create his own special forces group without actually having them special forces qualified. And he got caught. But what if... And then he goes to the Army Times, and right after he gets done speaking with me, he goes on to the Army Times, and the Army... Megan Moyer, who's... Who we need to leave alone. If anybody in the community is listening to me, stop with the, with the, the stupid meme attacks and the disgusting racial and sexist slurs. This is a very small minority. It's been nipped in the butt already, but that's... I don't want that. And she wrote a, she wrote a very good fluff piece about how... I started to notice about how General Milley and the, the Pentagon are trying to paint a picture that the mainstream media does a lot, that the veterans that are bitching about this, and I use the word bitching, mm-hmm. 
are just angry about a beret and that we're irate. So the, 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 the Army Times article I had a problem with because the, the intent was to besmirch, I love that word, and smear <laughs> the, the, the petition campaign I'm using that one. to make it look like there's a bunch of like just overdrugged, drunk, angry, irate Green Beret veterans just running amok on social media, dropping memes and, yeah. and calling people, you know, F-words and stuff like that. And, and then, the, but the best part was she was, she asked him about the uh, train advised assist mission. And this is General Milley, the chief of staff of the United States Army and a team series qualified Green Beret and former fifth group commander went on record and said, the Green Berets of Special Forces have never trained any host nation military nor served with them, ever. And people lost their minds. Even I did. I was like, so who, okay, if I've never trained and fought <laughs> alongside any host nation folks, the who fuck the fuck I did doing? I fight with in Iraq then? <laughs> Were you, who the shit was, was who I by was myself? That? What the fuck? <laughs> who the fuck was that? Because they sure shit looked Iraqi and they, were, they knew Arabic. Yeah. I, I mean, <laughs> some of them were Kurds. I guess you could get a little weird on that. But he literally said that, and the backlash was so was so absolute and swift Good. that he went on to the Army Times website and wrote a retraction. He was like, "I should have never have said that. It's that's not actually not true." As a Green Beret myself, I knew that wasn't true. Direct all your hate towards me. To which <clears throat> they did. Mm. I mean, he said some blatantly uh, 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 weird things. Now, Ian, I don't know if I've actually answered your question. I started this petition for the one reason and one reason only is that we, there is a micro aggressive echo chamber situation going on in the United States. We have a divisiveness in the United States that's really, really, really focused on. A lot of people are like, no, no, everyone's really happy and fun and friendly. (laughs) Not if you watch the news. (laughs) We are the most divisive nation in the world. And this, the petition, I started this petition because if you're going to politicize veterans, about taking a knee at an NFL game, and I'm not going to get into that, mm. or protesting the national anthem, and you say that you're, bes- you're, you're dis- dis- disparaging the veteran men and women who fought and died for that flag, and that makes, you un- uh, that, makes you, that makes you unpatriotic, that makes you not a veteran or a military supporter, and that makes you an angry liberal communist. Mm. Well, if you're going to politicize veterans... This is what the politicization of veterans looks like. Hmm. At change.org, that has a direct pipeline to the Department of Defense, Joint Special Operations Command, Special Operations Command, and the Department of Defense. I combined a group of cats, if you will, because veterans themselves are hard to get focused on one specific thing. If it's not destroying somebody, it's hard to kind of (laughs) focus them on one specific thing. (laughs) let alone having Greenberg, I was able to control, not so much control, but to guide a, a herd of veteran and active duty Green Beret cats to a collective mission that, see, this is the political process. A Pepe fucking meme isn't political. <laughs> yeah. A petition along with social interaction and, and this. guidance through your community. And this, what we're doing. And giving back to community. This is what this is, I'm trying to do. That's right. You may, you, people may think it's funny that a, a grown-ass man is, is, is started a position over a beret. But if it's you've not, never earned yeah, one, exactly. you don't understand it. Blood, and to sweat, see a and bunch tears. of kids walking around wearing it, I want them to be proud of their unit. That's I right. want them to have unit cohesion. But pick a different color. Yeah. Pick a I, different color. Look. 
Start your own fucking legacy. Don't steal that. That's already established. And let me say, let me tell you, from the outside looking in, and you know I'm a Marine, and we are some of the freaking biggest traditionalists when it comes to the DOD. Like, we can recite back to some of our first officers, let alone units, you know, and, and we, we keep that legacy, that lineage true and strong throughout all of our teachings, whether it's boot camp, whether it's in the Marine Corps, whether you're in, you're in the fleet and you're in the FMF. I mean, we have these periods of instructions where we remember all our forefathers or the guys that came before us, for lack of a better term. Um, you know, we remember these guys for a reason because it makes us that much more prouder of who we are. And the same thing goes mm-hmm. for your unit, your special operations unit, your, your special forces, your Green Berets. These are, these are all things that men have literally bled and died for, where the flag have covered their caskets. And yep. you, you, if you're going to start your own unit, which, fuck the mission, who cares? If you are doing special operations like missions, you're training, okay, I get it. Start your own goddamn lineage. Don't start it off the back of another unit. You know, I, I totally get it. Don't water down what we did and what I did. Yeah, and, and, to, and to General Milley's defense, I don't want anybody to think I'm talking... The man called me. He, he, he respected the process enough and understood that when he did, and, th- and understood that in three days, in 72 hours, we had 82,000 sig- 82, signatures That's in three job. days. And that was just a Twitter campaign. That was it. And then, and then journalists started writing about it. Scoblin wrote about it. Our, our own Steve Balasari, he's been tracking it. Uh, Army Times had an op ed from my real good friend Scott Neal, uh, you know, original horse soldier about it uh you know army times wrote another retraction about it i mean it's in it, 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 the goddamn united states met, uh, military west point wrote about it their ctc sentinel magazine wrote about it and in a good light they're like maybe you should have picked something well far away from a color that screen you know and then everybody brought up the shinseki black black beret ranger thing too and, and the rangers got a raw deal they got a raw goddamn deal and a lot of rangers you know even new rangers now know that the, the, the tan beret was not the original beret. Mm. But the, the point of the petition was I was listening to the collective disagreement and, and complaining that was actually turning pretty, pretty sound within the brotherhood itself. And I, and I posited, I was like, hey, does anybody have a problem if I start a petition? Let's, 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 let's show the United States what a political middle ground actually looks like. Mm. Because a lot of these guys in the SF Brotherhood, do you think I, do you think I agree with them politically? No. There's some three percenters in there. There's, there's, there's some, there, may be, there may be even all left and right folks in there. You know, the left, not so much. I, I'm a minority. But the, all these people with different ideas, different unit cohesion, different realizations of who they are and people they don't like came together and, 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 and for three days was able to, to, to gather 88,000 signatures and get the attention of not only the Pentagon, but the chief of staff of the United States Army, who's this, this first special security forces advisory <laughs> brigade is his baby. That's until, his legacy. Until, until That's they, like when he retires, he's like, I created an entire uh, unit out of scratch. Derek, until, until they rectify this, I would like to officially call them swagger jackers. Can we call them that? <laughs> Swagger jacking ass unit. Listen, I got a question for you, maybe because you're the only one that could really give us some insight on this. Something that I haven't heard much of. Um, okay. 10th group, Sergeant First Class mm-hmm. Stephen B. Uh, Cribben. 
who just recently... Cribbon, yeah. Yeah, so what do you got on him? He just passed away in Logar province, so, you know, what's going on over there? Uh, the only thing that I got back um, from Yusasak was, was uh, Cribbin's, um, a, a very brief, uh, I, I would say... Because they are keeping it tight lipped, I heard. Yeah, they're keeping it, t- they're keeping it pretty tight, tightly lipped. Um, the, the, the shittiness about that is that I've got, and I hate saying this, I've got... I've got six dead green berets hmm. that I'm tracking right now for, you know, the, the, the four in, in Niger, the one in Mali, and, or excuse me, seven, and the two now in Afghanistan. And right now, the Yusasak, the, 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 they gave me some, some good deep dive information on his... On his uh, and the know, other one military. you're talking about is uh, Jacob Sims, I think, uh, 160 SOAR? Sims. Yeah. yeah, Sims. Now, the 160 SOAR thing, and that was, um, that was, a, that was an unfortunate helicopter accident. Yeah. Um, if you believe that, in uh, a, a really and that, highly that's, contested region. That's why we got to talk Taliban. about this stuff, you know? That's why we got to yeah. bring it up. Because if, like you well, said, the same thing with Niger. If you don't talk about it, no one's going to fucking talk about it or even investigate or look into it. So, I mean, we'd have to bring these things up. That's what we do here on Soft Rep. You well, I'm glad, you, I'm glad you brought it up. Uh, I will say that, that there is work going on about the Afghanistan thing right now yeah. as an active research Good. and active data collection. Uh, I'm being totally cryptic because I want to sound super cool right now. But yeah, we're, we're working on, uh, it's working. I, we and I are working on, on something on kind of like a, a, a splainer, if you will, on what happened in, in that, in the Logar in Afghanistan, that 160th, what, what potentially would have happened and, and, and things like that. Mm. Awesome. Um, I appreciate you breaking it of, down, man. Yeah, no, no worries, man. Uh, sometimes I feel like, I'm on cocaine. I just got to talk as fast as talk, but I guess we got it. <laughs> hey, listen, man, you're going to be on here again. I think you're the, one of the most informed fools we got up in this mug. All right. So I appreciate it's, it's it. Cause I have no <laughs> hobbies outside of, you know, getting tattoos and, and trying to stay out of jail. Are and you going to get tattooed by Jason when you come to New York? I, that's why I keep, every time I'm on the show, I'm going to mention it to Jason because he owns his own tattoo parlor. So yeah, I'd like to get the, the, the homeboy discount, but I don't want to get like Homie a, hook you up. know, Bro, I got a drunk you, looking man. like it's cookie not, monster on my, I, on my abdomen. Come on, man. You know me better than that, bro. I don't have half ass shit, bro. It's going to go hard. <laughs> I've seen your work. It's actually pretty good. Hey, speaking of which, man, can we, we talk about Jason for a second? How's the book going? It's, I don't know. It's all right, I guess. I, you know, everything is, like you said, it's cryptic right now. They, it's like the fucking goddamn uh, U.S. government over here. Everybody's keeping things <laughs> tight-lipped. You know, I, I won't see nothing actually officially when it comes to numbers for like another month or so. That's just the, the way the business works. But it's going good. I know we're moving up in ranks in Amazon. Um, so that means that people are reading it and referring it. So and everyone that is getting back to me, you know, I, I doubt it's fakeness because it's just random strangers hitting me up and saying that it's a page turner. It's addictive. So, you know, it's good. And, you know, I, I guess I'm getting reaffirmation that, you know, um, the message I set out to um, basically, you know, deliver what it is, in fact, being uh, received. So, you know, at the end of the day, it's about me giving these this younger generation um, the cheat codes to your enlistment and to your family, you know, at the end of the day. So that's, that's I, and I like that. Dope, I like that. And, you know, guys like you need to fucking write, too, bro. You need a book, bro. What's up? Soft reps got we got our own any, label. I didn't do anything. I didn't do anything cool. Plus, yeah. you stole Bounty Hunter. I can't use that now. No, that shit is mine since day one, fool. You can't have that. Oh, 
shit. You got the Legionnaire. You got Legion, bro. I know not Legionnaire because that's fucking tight. But you got the Legion, bro. That's shit. That sounds tight. The Legion? Come on. the fuck out of here. That's awesome, dude. You got it. Well, hey, boys. I'm going to bounce. I gotta get going. Oh, we didn't uh, even we didn't even get into uh, the Green Beret killed in Mali. Could I? You know, oh, shit. maybe we'll uh, we'll, get, well I, yeah. If you want to sum it up, and then I want to mention one other thing real quick. Okay, yeah. Sorry about that, guys. Um, you can't put on pants yet, bro. Let's go. It's I have like three other topics I wanted to cover with Derek, but I appreciate it, man. Oh, you good. asked Derek one question, can, and we're on a roll, but it's good. I want. Oh, yeah, that was my fault, dude. It's no, no fault. fault man. You, did you read it wrong? Did you thought we were rushing you? <laughs> no, we were no. just we were just trying to hit the topics. Let's go, brother. Come on. Yeah. So Molly, um, very very interesting situation. Not a lot being put out on in public as far as information. Um, it's super. It's a, it's a sensitive topic because once again, it deals with. SEAL Team 6, and, and, and this time it also deals with it's So what we know um, in a quick, you know, kind of down dirty is, uh, you know, uh, from what, I, from what we, we had found out both at SoftRep and through, you know, our own private channels here over at SoftRep, we're doing re- quick research on this, was that, um, A, there's, a, there's rumors that drugs and alcohol may have been involved. It's always that. Plus, you it's mentioned that the Jason. reason why I, I called yeah. it day one. Go ahead, go on. <laughs> now we don't know that there, there's it, it, from what Usasak and for what Navspec Wars public affairs offices have told soft rep to include myself is that there's an active investigation going on and they're not going to comment. Which is you know, I, I, we get that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we uh, expected that. Someone like this is something <laughs> indicative of like some some sort of Fight Club gone bad. Yeah. Uh, you know the room that where Amelgar was found looked like a a bomb had gone off on it. There was definitely a, a signs of the struggle. And that's why the, 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 atta- I guess the army attache or the, the command attache for the special forces, uh, instantly called in uh, CID, which is the U S army's criminal investigation division, uh, in order uh, under, under the auspices of foul play. Mm. That was further, further solidified. And NCIS was brought in was after the fact that the two Navy seals, were actually not considered persons of interest. They were considered witnesses, like, you know, uh, chief witnesses. And after the military medical examiner came back and said that the, that the cause of death was, uh, was, a, a blunt trauma, uh, a, or a, it was due, due to strangulation. It was definitely due to intentional strangulation. Wow. And CRS came in and took, head, took spearheaded it. And the two Navy SEALs from SEAL team six, by the way, Deb grew JSOC boys, mm-hmm. uh, were, I guess put on a plane, removed from Mali, sent back to Damnick, east coast of the United States, and immediately put on administrative leave. Oh, they, they, they got some shit coming down the pipe. Uh, maybe. You don't maybe. think Jack, so? Jack, uh, well, Jack's follow-up deals a lot more with how the, uh, the SEAL Team 6 and JSOC deal with uh, UCMJ. You know, I was I was I was a part of SOCOM and, you know, I understand like, you know, we were given a certain leniency when it came to issues, so to speak, that arose out in town. Not like the regular Marine Corps. I'm not going to exactly tip the hand because, you know what, those guys kind of need that leniency. They need that trust because a lot of the situations that happen, you know, some of them are you know, uh, a little over-exaggerated and they need to have that wiggle room to come out of them. Um, Unlike, you know, regular Marine Corps where, you know, you fart the wrong way and you're going to lose rank, you know. So um, 
that being said, I just want to say everyone, it doesn't matter who, what unit you're attached to, everyone has those crazy fucking nights, you know, I remember where we used to fucking uh, hold ourselves up in the barracks, and you know, you know how the ranges have numbers on, you know, our Marine Corps base, like range 117, mm-hmm. you know, our barracks rooms had numbers too, so we would get drunk and, you know, play these games, like, you know, if your room number was like 202, we'd call it like range 202, and we'll put on fucking flag jacket and Kevlar and fucking drink and listen to music, and when we're done with the beer bottle, we'll fucking launch that shit on the wall and just smash that motherfucker you know what i mean so i mean uh, the room would look like you described their room what i'm trying to say is when alcohol and high testosterone motherfuckers get you know uh, start mingling you know shit goes down so um but as far as you're saying you know the way certain leniencies are given towards uh socom or jason sock cats um i get it you know but that being said even then if something happened in their I got to say, in, in their lack of judgment, it's something they got to live with too, man. And I think that's going to be really, really fucking heavy for them to deal with too, bro. You know what I mean? I agree. I completely agree. Hey, Derek, before... I do too. I mean, there's an under, and there's an underlying problem in, 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 in the military. Well, in the United States as a whole, not just the military. We, we have a serious problem with, with substance abuse yeah. as a whole. Yeah, you're right, bro. So and, that, and it's not a bad thing. It's like op tempo and being in pain and everything else like that. I mean, eventually... What human's not going to try to seek some sort of respite from that? So, and then having a deal. I don't judge yeah, the guys. I get it, man. I totally get it. Especially fucking, come on, this is Dev Group, bro. You know what I mean? Like, there's a lot mm-hmm. of fucking, there's a lot of shit going on there. You know, especially you throw in an SF cat into the mix, you throw into, you know, the bigger dick contest things going on. And it, yeah, shit is going to go down, you know. But like, like you said, you know, I maybe there needs to be not oversight. Not to say I don't want to want these guys to be micro. They they can't be. It's impossible. But maybe things afforded to them, you know, that they're not going to realize until they're older, until they're our age. You know, that, like I said, that emotional rubber band has reached its complete capacity of elasticity. You know what I mean? Like these guys, that has to be recognized. Some of these guys need to be talked to. They need to know that they have, you know, things available to them to work through these situations. And while they're active, they don't want to actively seek it. But I think they need to be prompted towards these things because if they're going to stay in for 20 fucking years or something like that within a community where they're allowed to operate, these things need to be addressed. Uh, Do you agree? I agree. And the guys that stay in the community for 20 years and don't address that has the potential of creating quite a toxic command. True. That's that's my opinion. You've got a guy that's been doing this and they they consider it not a big issue. They come all the way up to the ranks and then they're they're in charge of units such as this. I'm not saying that this is the case. And that could create a toxic command where it's it's okay for these types of behaviors just to kind of continue to to get worse. Yeah. Hey, Derek, could I I break? And final. Could I break your balls about one thing before uh, we let you go? Yeah, but then I've got to go. You can break my balls. You haven't done it all day. So, <laughs> so I'm going to break your balls right now. Uh, the last show, we had Jesse Davenport on, who's uh, Jason's brother, you know, a fellow uh, Marine Scott sniper. And he talked yeah. about that his time as a Marine Scott sniper was just far more, you know, uh, I guess proud moment of, of his than being a Green Beret, which he also was. And on the show, he said, you remember him saying the Q course was a breeze. He's like, it was nothing to me. Yeah, but that's, but hold on. In his defense, you got to understand, this motherfucker went through Marine Scout Sniper School, fucking several indoctrinations. Like, this shit is hell, bro. And then to go from that to the Q course, it's like the equivalent of a fucking bread baker and a candlestick maker in the (laughs) Navy going 
to the buds and then becoming a fucking killer within uh, however many weeks program that is and then so on after. I just so, wanted to see what Derek thought, though. The I'm guy just called saying, the Q4 you know, course easy. Well, of course it's going to be easy for him, but not a typical that's, kid. That's because he watched the Discovery Channel two weeks in hell, and it's not two weeks. I tell you right now, they can't show the other three weeks of the, of, of the Q course and the selection course. I will take on that scout sniper. I don't give a shit. <laughs> you better kill me from afar away. Do you think, I get to you, I'm going to talk to you what, about Star think, Wars and comic books. I think, what, wait, I think what his point was that, you know, where the AT&X ray issue is what he's ha- he has the issue with, is where some of these younger guys, you know, inexperienced in the in combat and experiencing the maturity required to conduct these operations, you know, are starting to flood the teams and they're starting to kind of like, kind of like fuck up the name of the, all the guys that put in work, all the guys that been out there, all the fucking senior guys and the legacy guys and because they're just, you know, they're getting there. They're there already, but yet they're still too fucking immature to understand the responsibility they have. I think that was his point. You know, what do you think about that? Okay. Yep. No, I totally agree with him then. And you guys can all blame Donald Rumsfeld for that shit. Fucking Rumsfeld. <laughs> giving giving uh, Osama bin Laden guns and then, you know, having to kill him He's afterwards. Like, how, you know, how I want to create <laughs> soft. Let's, let's, let's reignite the x-ray program from 1966. Well, the first couple classes that went through the x-ray program, if they survived, those are some hard dudes. Well, we love having you on, man. I mean, I, the only reason I'm cutting off Derek is because Derek's like, I gotta yeah, go. Yeah, he's telling so, us we gotta go. Fuck so you, Derek. You gotta leave. I've gotta you go. got something better I've to do. Fine. People. All right, we'll let you go. At Derek Gannon, CM6. We're gonna definitely have you on soon, man. We gotta talk about yeah. a lot of other yeah. things. Love your brother and love your writing. Keep it up, bro. You inspire hey, man. me. You too, buddy. I'll talk to you guys later, okay? Right on. Thanks, man. All right. So, man, that great having Derek on the show. I feel like Derek had a lot pent up to talk about because the last couple of times we had Derek on, it was like, hey, Derek, we have another guest. So it's a quick 10, 15 minute hit. So now, you know, he wanted to get to everything. And I'm glad that he did. Because Dude, isn't, to isn't he so knowledgeable? Yeah. Especially about the topic in Africa, which is ridiculous because you don't get to hear all these details. I mean, you can obviously anyone could go on and do their research and pull some of this up. But to have that that inside insider point of view especially for me this guy's more i, I think he's more liberal than conservative you got oh yeah he's open about he's, it he's, he's open about left. it which is fucking cool because he's still a fucking patriot and can still be liberal and he, he understands the way the system works so and that's another thing he brought up regardless of your political affiliation within the soft community within the sf community their gripe is with the watering down or the stealing, the swagger jacking, for lack of better terms, the swagger jacking of their lineage. It doesn't matter what what, what affiliation you you subscribe to. You're you're stealing my blood, sweat, and tears, my work ethic, my I'm not worth it, my sweat equity. You know what I put into this community and what this community has given me and what has came before me. Like if you're starting your own unit, start your own unit, yeah, and start your own legacy. And and what you were saying about Derek is true because people have said to me, um, you know, like what's the political uh, lean, you know, lean of the site or the show, and and the whole thing about it, which is great, and a huge credit to Brandon and and uh, Jack more than mm-hmm. anything, is as long as you're a guy with the experience, 
They don't care what angle you're coming from. You know, Derek has said it before, and other writers have said that there's never been a time that Brandon or Jack have said, like, don't put this on the site. It's too, it's too conservative no. or it's too liberal. You know, um, we've had Kristen Beck on the show. Mm-hmm. We've also had Rob O'Neill on the show. You know what I mean? Very different opinions. So we like controversy. I mean, that's you guys want to hear both sides uh, of the uh, table, both sides of the conversation. You're going to get it. Yeah. As long as we got the guys with the experience, I know what the hell they're talking about. Talk about the stuff. I and that's what we do here in Soft Rep. And now, listen, this episode to me was probably one of the most insightful when it came to a specific subject because I don't think what Derek put out with us today was ever put out, you know? Yeah, Espe- Derek and... Uh, especially with the Rex Tillerson situation. Yeah, I mean, huge. That to me was huge. Yeah. It was major. Like, I don't know, but mm, deserves maybe a second looking into. But what I'm trying to say is, Wow. Look at the guys we have working on staff. I mean, this is what you're going to get with the writing content on the, on, the, on, the, on the website. Go ahead and take a look at it. We're going to bring these guys on again. Yeah. I mean, these guys are subject duty experts, and you can't fucking deny that. Yeah. But that's the great thing, man. We make people laugh. We make people learn something. <laughs> uh, that's like Coriolanus when he comes on the show. It's the same thing. I've learned more about hacking through him mm. than just about anybody. And it, sometimes when I tell people that we have like computer hackers at the site, they're like, oh, the U.S., you know, people who aren't really informed will be like, the U.S. government is hackers? Fuck yeah, we do. You know what I mean? And he's even <laughs> said on the show uh, about, uh, you know, the whole idea of Russia influence, influencing our election. He's like, yeah, you don't think we influence other people's elections? We do it all the time. Yeah, break. Yeah, so I think it's a lot of uh, people with lack of knowledge who think that this is some amazing thing, that Russia wanted the election to go a certain way. And um, you know what? Actually... I'm going to play something on here because I know I have it on the SoundCloud. And now that for nothing, if I thought Hillary Clinton was going to inevitably become the president, I would try my goddamn best to change it, too. (laughs) Well, here's the thing. I know Tonto agrees with me. I'm going to play this because um, as I'm saying it, it it reminds me of a clip. I have this five minute clip of Coriolanus. And from what he said, it was not about getting Trump elected. It was about I'm going to play the clip. I'm going to see what you think. So this was pretty crazy. It came out yesterday uh, as we're taping this, and Coriolanus put it in our soft in our uh, soft rep writers group. And I think it was to say, "Hey, I was I was right on something." It looks like so. This is from CNN exclusive. Russian bought uh, Black Lives Matter ads on Facebook targeted Baltimore and Ferguson. At least one of the Facebook ads bought by Russians during the 2016 presidential campaign referenced Black Lives Matter and was specifically targeted to reach audiences in Ferguson, Missouri, and Baltimore. Pretty interesting, right? Knowledge yeah. of the ads told CNN. Ferguson and Baltimore are gained widespread myself. attention for the large and violent protests over police shootings of black men. The decision to target the ad in those two cities offers the first look at how accounts linked to Russian government-affiliated troll farm known as the Internet Research Agency used geographically targeted advertising to sow political chaos in the United States, the sources said. Um, Facebook had previously said that roughly one quarter of the 3,000 ads bought by the agency were geographically targeted, but it has not revealed any specific locations. Facebook has also not revealed which demographic uh, groups and interest groups were targeted by the ads. So here's the interesting thing about this. If you're, a, if you're like a diehard listener of the podcast who hears every episode, then you already know Coriolanus two months ago kind of stated this 
on the podcast. Um, and what he was saying was that I think this is where I actually get to it. So, this is me referencing him. If you guys aren't, it was to cause chaos and disruption in the system. Before I even have you comment on this, because you worked in the CIA, Drew, and you you probably know something about these type of operations on some level, I feel like I should play the clip of Here Corey Alanis. Um, because people loved this clip of him because he had a take that no one else was saying, and now it's being backed up by some evidence. So I'm just going to play the clip for you guys. And like to hear it now, two months later... Yeah, so this kinda, was a while ago he said this. If it'll play... <laughs> Transparency matters. But at the end of the day, is there evidence of any kind of like Russian effect on the vote tallying? No. And that starts with um, the, the point of this is that that starts with a nominally false inductive reasoning. The fact that Russians actually influence the tally. That is not Russian effort. The Russian effort is an active, as, as Jack has outlined and other people have outlined, it's an information operation. To be clear, America, you are the target of the information operation, not Donald Trump. Donald Trump is an idiot. He is not the fucking target of an information operation. If anything, he is probably guilty of having business relationships with Russians that would be questionable at best. Um, But the target of the information operation, the strategic communication campaign, it's America. It's Americans. Because the Russians don't give a fuck who you elect America. They care that America collapses and destroys itself and implodes it on itself. And they don't care that they control an American president. That would be retarded. There's yeah. no point behind that. Oh, yeah, four years of control of some candidate. Okay, and after four years, you lose control of the candidate, and you have some kind of influence. whoop de fuck But at the end of the day, if what you seek is essentially revenge for what is basically a fiscal or free market revolution in 1995... Um, that was basically influenced significantly by the United States, then the best way to execute that is basically have America die by falling on its own sword. And yeah. So, yeah. Right? So lose, lose faith in its institutions, lose faith in the rule of law, lose faith in the electoral college, lose faith in who they vote for. Yeah, so that's that's basically what? the whole clip. But and you, I know I know you're not going to agree with the Donald Trump part, no, whatever that's that. politics. No, fuck that. I don't care. I agree with it. Yeah. Listen, fuck yeah. Why not? I'll agree with it. Because... Damn, that shit was clear, concise, and logical. Yeah. Because if the end game is always the long game, am I correct? You, you especially in the intelligence field, the end game is always the long game. And think about it: what has re, what had just recently resurged from our past? Racial tensions. Yeah. And as you say, they bought ads influencing Black Lives Black Matter. Lives Matter. Yeah. Because Ferguson, they yeah. know. Racial tensions or a create uh, the creation of a racial war will be probably the only thing that would divide this country. And you know what the infamous saying goes: "Together we stand, divided we fall." Of course, because and now look at it; it it makes perfect fucking sense nowadays. I mean, you can go on a date with a girl, and you know she's probably not political whatsoever. But if she finds out you're fucking pro Trump, she'll make fun of you and probably walk out of a date. You know, you know and, and that's the ridiculous thing. Like, they're that adamant about something they know nothing about because of the message sent to them directly. And, and you know what plays into that, too, is remember when Trump did win the election, and by the way, whatever your opinion of, of him is, legitimately won the election, and people were like, 
oh, he stole the election because, you know, she won the popular vote, but he won the electoral vote. Well, that's great. She won the contest they weren't having. Like She that's, also rigged the DNC so that, that yep. Bernie Sanders never even had a chance. But it, And that goes to what he was saying. The, the American people lose faith in the electoral system. You know, that, that's why there's so many people as running they around should, as saying they that Donald Trump didn't legitimately win the election. And he did he legitimately did. win the election. He did. It doesn't matter if Russia had any influence with Facebook ads and all this other stuff. It doesn't matter. You know? Look at Joe Biden's current book that he just wrote. And he wrote, the, well, aside from the obvious reasons, which is the recent death of, death of his son and all the other things uh, you know, going on. Who is a hero, by the way? Who is a super, yeah, yeah he's a fucking hero, man. What I'm trying to say is, despite that, he didn't want to subject his family to that scrutiny. However, he didn't want to subject his family to the scrutiny and the negative attention coming from Hillary's campaign. Or the aggression coming from Hillary's campaign. So he just didn't even want to deal with it. Knowing damn well, he probably could have won. Or Bernie Sanders probably could have won, aside from his socialistic agenda. Yeah. You know, but my yeah, point... I don't think America's going to vote a guy openly socialist. You don't know because of what... The, you know, you're looking at the other side of the coin, which was especially if an active uh, campaign to uh, besmirch, <laughs> you know, Donald <laughs> Trump was, was being... Uh, was underway. You know, you, you, maybe people took to Bernie Sanders more than they took to Hillary Clinton. Everyone felt and knew Hillary Clinton was being forced down the throat of the Dem the, the, the Democratic Party. Yeah, there's they nothing exciting forced. about Hillary Clinton. There's nothing exciting. She was passing out left and right. She had uh, ties to the Uranium One crap, yeah. the deal. You know, she, she was as crooked as they come. And, and you know, despite, um, you know, Trump's... You know, labeling of his opponents and stuff like that. Whatever you want to talk about, whatever you want to call it, psychological warfare or not. The truth is, behind every joke, there's a little bit of truth. She is probably one of the most crooked politicians we've ever dealt with. You know, especially, just look at her income or her net worth. How it just boosted from going from the first lady to uh, becoming the uh, head of the uh, Department of State. You know what I'm saying? So... I don't know. Uh, did special favors come into play? Yeah, I'm sure if you look into it and we actually do approve that special counsel to, or special investigative counsel to go ahead and look into those things like the uranium, uranium one deal and so on and so forth, we'll find a lot of wrongdoing, a lot of wrongdoing within her and her campaign and her family. All right. So well, what I'm trying to say is she was forced down the Democrat. So I think, if anything, the, Demo the Democrats of this nation should really, really come together and say, what the fuck, Chuck? What happened? Why were we force-fed this woman when we knew she wasn't going to win? Why do you hate women, Jason? No. Uh, <laughs> that's the, I'm going to get, so, I'm gonna get so much crap about that. Not, I don't know about from this audience. If anything, no, not the, thank God. I love this audience. <laughs> yeah. I, love, I wouldn't be here. Sometimes I get, you know, Sorry. all of us get crap. I think that's just the but way it, it No, works. not for nothing. It's the nature of the Not beast. for nothing in this day and age with, with this racial divide that we have going on. I, of course, this is, this is being fed. I mean, you look online. Everybody's passing around the memes. I mean, guys, like I said, felons that can't even fucking vote are fucking throwing up anti-Trump memes. Like, bro. Worry about getting money in your family like you used to before you got locked up, all right? You know what I'm saying? That's my point. Like, stop. All you're doing is adding fuel to the fire. Listen, America, if you don't have a solution to the goddamn problem, stop fucking bringing up the problem, okay? Unless you have a solution to it, then say something about it. But don't be the fuel to the fire. Stop with the spreading the hate, the memes. And like um, Derek also said uh, with the writer from the uh, Army Times, you know, what the fuck are the memes, the anti-female you know, memes and all that? That's bullying. 
Okay? And, and you know what? We're better than that. We're more mature than that. Okay? Let her wallow in her own crap. Whatever it is. Okay? Whatever you feel she did. She's a journalist. She's going to get, you know, she's going to try to write the most provocative piece she can write. Or basically try to enforce her agenda. That's what writers do. All right? But we don't need to stoop to that level. I think what Derek is doing is very diplomatic and, and honestly, probably one of the best ways to approach a situation, which is going straight to the horse's mouth. You understand what I'm saying? But at the end of the day, guys, just cut it the hell out. Come together. You know, it doesn't matter what your party is. We're fucking Americans, man. And we have and we have proof that other nations are actively trying to devise us, trying to divide us, trying to destroy us. It's, it's us against them. That's all it is, you know? Yeah. Um, two things before we get out of here. We had a great email that I know you read, so it's I want to get to that, complex. and I want to get to a throat punch of the week. Uh, I know yeah. we're going long oh, yeah. here. No, and you cool. guys better appreciate us going long. I know you uh, like it. <laughs> So uh, Sam Schofield writes to us, hey, guys, my name's Sam Schofield, and I've been listening for a while down here in Australia, which I think is awesome. It's so cool to know, you know, what areas we hit. It's so sick listening to all the war stories you Americans have. You guys get into a lot of the action that Australia either isn't a part of or us regular civilians just don't know that we were a part of. Any chance you guys uh, of you guys shedding some light on what our Australian Special Forces, 2 Commando Regiment, and SASR are all about and your experiences from working with them. We hear a lot of comments about how badass the Aussies are, and there's a wide selection of books written about Aussie Special Forces units and operators in Afghanistan and Iraq, but it would be cool to hear a story or two of your experiences with them. Recently, the media and public here in Australia have been shitting on our SASR and commandos for possible war crimes, which majority to me seem to be occurrences that are a part of the job in lack, of, uh, in lack for a better term and are something people can truly only understand from being in their shoes. We even have a commando convicted of murder or something along those lines who cleared a room in Afghanistan with a grenade because there was gunfire coming from within that room. However, women and kids were also killed in the incident. I'm sorry, but sad, uh, But as sad and unfortunate as this is, if there is gunfire coming from that room, to me, there seems to be nothing wrong with what this operator has done. He was simply watching out for his own and his mates' lives. And this terrorist, I'm sure, would have well known that these women and children would have been at risk at fire, uh, by, firing, by him firing from that room. It sucks that operators can be sentenced with murder for an armchair critic who I have no doubt has uh, never seen action in their entire life. Very true. Uh, Thanks for the awesome work you guys do at SOPREP, especially Ian for getting all this stuff out to us. You're a true professional and badass radio dude. Thank you very much, sir. And uh, listening to Jason Delgado is so sick, man. From what I can tell, he's a great dude. I'm about to smash out his book. Keep it up. Cheers. Sam Schofield. Sam, interesting question, but more so interesting dilemma you bring up. Let's talk about war. Let's talk about combat. There is no gray area in combat. It's positive, it's negative. It's either you live, it's either you die. And all of your decisions are made in that black and white spectrum. I explained this before. So let me go a little bit more in depth. As an individual that went into a siege of a country, initially, Iraq, 2003, 
as opposed to what is currently going on over there, it is a night and day difference. When you are taking over the country, when you're at war, when you're at a life or death situation, when your heart is racing, when you know you're, a, you're a fighting an opponent that, or fighting someone or addressing someone that their very goal is to kill you, is to send you straight to your maker, there is nothing else you can do other than kill him before he kills you. And it's that split-second decision, that, that, that conditioned response from training, from the mental process and that warrior mentality that will keep you alive because you cannot, and I repeat this, you cannot and must not hesitate on the trigger, hesitate on the very violence of action that will bring you home to your loved ones. At the end of the day, fuck them. It's about you and your family and your nation. So that being said, if, in fact, there was live fire coming from the room in the situation you quoted, and this individual threw a grenade in there, and that's what his training called for, or even better, that's what his instinct called for in that situation, and he lived to tell the story, you know what they say, I'd rather be judged by 12 than carried by 6. At the end of the day, I'm going to eat my justice pie, but guess what? I'm still fucking eating. And then I'm going to shit it out at the end of the day. The other guy, I'm sorry, he's maggot food. At the end of the day, it's about you coming home to the people that love you. And it's hard. You, it, it, and, um, you know, I, I, I've heard it several times before. I've even quoted it once. You know, matters of taste, matters of taste come second to war, to aggression to emotion, okay? So when it comes to trying to stay alive, it's hard to even express. It's hard for me to gather the words to, to, to just let you guys know that, fuck that. It's hard to just say it. Fuck that. I'm coming home. You're going to die if you're coming after me or I'm coming after you and I know you're a quote-unquote bad guy. My briefing, my answer. You just have to trust the process. Trust the intelligence process. Trust whatever you're given. The reason why he's at that door in the first place must have been some bad shit. Now, all the naysayers, all the guys, like you said, the, the uh, armchair, uh, what do you call it? The I always hear armchair quarterbacks. But armchair what quarterbacks. Say something like armchair that. Armchair critic. Here. Armchair critics. They've never been in that situation. In fact, let me tell you something that you guys have a luxury of being civilians, okay? Being here at home. You have the luxury of reveling, uh, just swimming in the gray area, okay? Even in conflict. If you bump into someone in the street. And you feel that that interaction was somewhat negative or aggressive towards you. You always have the option to turn the other cheek and walk away. That's the gray area. In combat, bro, you don't have that option. If someone's coming after you, it's to murder you. If someone bumps into you, it's to kill you. So what are you going to do? Sit there and die or kill in return? That's it. You guys will never understand that unless you lived in that life. Live or die. It's simple. So that being said, 
as far as the SAS and, and what they are, not SAS, because it is SAS. And let me tell you, they're, they're out there, okay? As far as, as, far as the uh, um, Australian commandos, I mean... Yeah, he wrote SASR. No, SASR, and also you have, uh, you also have um, you know, the second commando regiment, the first, whatever. You know, you have a bunch of r- the commando regiments you out there. You have, you know, you have your own heroes. You have your own warriors. I mean, guys that have proven themselves in Afghanistan, you know, like uh, um, uh, uh, Cameron uh, Bard. Corporal Cameron Bart. I mean, look at him. Where do you think he died if he didn't die in, in Afghanistan? I mean, you know, he, he did work. He put in work. And that's what you have to be proud of. As far as your guys coming out and talking about it and writing books about it, I'm not sure. You're going to have to probably look in the legalities of their uh, employment or their um, their actual uh, uh, term in, within your military. And maybe they're not allowed to talk about this. Maybe they're not allowed. Like us, we're not allowed for eight years to speak about what we've done in the military, obligated. After those eight years, we're allowed to come out and write books and so on and so forth. So, you know, uh, you know, America kind of gives us that that leniency, that, that uh, what do you call it, that transparency, that ability to be transparent with our uh, citizens. You know, it's that freedom of information thing, you know what I mean? Um, but as far as that's, if you don't see enough of that in Australia, maybe that has something to do with it. But that the fact that you got you think the guys are not out there putting in work, you're highly mistaken. And I know for a fact, uh, coming back from Kabul just recently, like I said, in April, <clears throat> been out there for a little over a year or so, um, this last recent uh, deployment, and I see Australians out there all the time, but they're more in a diplomatic um, setting, but they're patrolling with their diplomats out in Kabul, out in the city, out in the IZ. So they're out there. You guys are out there. You're part of NATO. You guys are holding down your obligations. You're, you're putting in work, so don't downplay your fucking special forces just because you're not hearing about them. You know, maybe, A, you got more silent professionals than we do, and I'm not saying that's a bad thing or a good thing. You know, you know how I feel about that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we talked about this. Um, but maybe they are obligated not to speak. So, you know, just give that up. But your guys are putting in work. Be proud of your fucking SF guys. Sometimes it's also just that the market in America for these type of things is yeah. bigger than overseas, Some you know, in some countries. Maybe so. it is. I, I, and from what I understand, Australia has a, a very strict gun laws, you know? That they do. So maybe your society, your government in general is an extremely liberal one where, you know, it's... it's you know, it's, you know, live by our code or not, you know, one of those things. But, you know, and then through that, you know, certain things like information restrictions and all that stuff come come down the pipeline. But your guys are out there. I've seen them. And, you know, like I said, I just quoted uh, one of your guys that just died over there, you know, and, you know, it's a fucking sick warrior. Everybody, you know, the story, I think they're going to make a book about his story, actually, to tell you the truth. From what I heard, they're making a book or a movie about him. So look into that and that'll give you the pride you're looking for. Right. Awesome, man. The only thing I could add to that epic rant is you might have saw I was Googling here as you were speaking because what you said reminds me of that famous George S. Patton quote, and I wanted to make sure I got the quote right, is uh, I want you to remember that no no bastard ever won a war by dying for his country. He won it by making the other poor dumb bastard die for his country. That's it. At the end of the day, you guys have to look at the bigger picture. It's about who's got the fucking bigger stick and... Who's ha- who's ha- who has the balls to go out and get what they want, you know? It gets to a certain point where we could be as diplomatic as every liberal out here wants us to be. And, and it's cool in a utopic society, but the problem with utopia is humanity. I already said this, you know? The issue with humanity in general is that for every good guy, you have a bad guy. 
You know, you have that guy that's going to do whatever it takes to acquire wealth, to acquire esteem. And that means even possibly, you know, by, you know, uh, ominous means. And, 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 and hear me out here. This is, this is to clarify. There are three types of people in this world, all right? There's wolves, and there's sheep, and then there's sheepdogs, okay? If you look at it, if you break it down, the wolves are those guys. The wolves are the guys that no matter what, they're going to kill babies. They're going to, uh, you know, wipe out, ethnically cleanse their own countries. They're going to do all this heinous shit to other humans. And then you have the sheep, which are those humans that these heinous acts are being uh, conducted on. These are grazers of grass. These are vegetarians. These are, you know what I mean? I'm just saying that as, uh, you know, just basically highlighting who we're talking about. We're talking about civilians. We're talking about you guys that revel in the gray. You're fucking sheep, okay, at the end of the day. And then we have sheepdogs. Those are your law enforcement. Those are your freaking uh, military personnel. Those are your firefighters. Those are, your, those are the people that face danger, okay? Yeah, sheepdogs are pack animals. Sheepdogs are aggressive, all right? Sheepdogs bark loudly, all right? They eat meat, but by God's strength, they do love those sheep, and they will protect those sheep, and it's because of those goddamn sheepdogs, you sheep are allowed to eat your grass. Remember that. So don't chastise your sheepdogs. It's because it's guys like me, you're able to go and do whatever the hell you want to do in this world. Remember that. We have to keep that line of defense. And we'll wrap up with Throat Punch of the Week, which I know you want to give to uh, the UCLA basketball players stealing in China, which is a pretty bonehead move, to say the least. So, obviously, in the wake of Donald Trump's visit to China, where I think Donald Trump nailed. Donald Trump nailed. You had his granddaughter singing to the uh, president of China, you know, in Mandarin Chinese. Like, you know what I mean? This is classical... This is classical royalty shit, the way I see it. It really is. Like, you know, it's it's showing our appreciation for what the Chinese government has done and so on and so forth. Is that extending that olive branch, you know, something so epic. Like, this is I think this is gonna be an epic moment that you, you know will be in the times in you know several years from now. I, I think that it's that big. But something so beautiful that occurred, you know, something that could have been a great moment. You got these freaking boneheads, Leangelo Ball. You know, which she's on reality shows now. You know what I mean? Leangelo Ball. You got Cody Riley, Jalen Hill. You know, you got these guys doing what? They're staying in this nice, fancy, mixmancy, you know, Chinese hotel. They go to the Louis Vuitton store, I believe, and they try to steal shades from the Louis Vuitton store. You know, okay, whatever. They might have thought they were being cute. Maybe they weren't doing it because they were, you know, goddamn well. And they might not they don't realize need the money. that. Stealing in China is not like stealing in America. They have no clue, no clue of the freedoms they enjoy in America. Like the judicial system is really somewhat of a joke over yeah, here. It's not like stealing, you know, is a freedom, but I know what you mean. Dude, it's like you go to fucking Thailand and you you, you, you freaking, uh, what was that kid that uh, did the graffiti in Thailand and yeah. he had to get caned? I remember that way back, right? Way like back in the 90s, day. Like you get caned for graffiti over here. You're lucky if you even get a fine for graffiti. But that's my point. The, the ignorance of this millennial generation. Do you know, um, do you know David Cho, the artist? 
great artist, by the no. way. Um, he talked about, you know, he's Korean, of Korean descent, he's American. Uh-huh. But he, uh, you know, he was a like, wild kid before he became this millionaire artist. Uh, and he stole a, a bike in Japan. And he was like, I got treated like shit because I was Korean. You know, so a lot of it is Asian culture. You know, it steal, stealing a bike strict. in America, not a big deal. Stealing a bike in Japan They're or China, strict. you know, or but any of these Asian what countries. What I want to say is... Big difference. Yo, respect to China. Kudos. Because you know what they're doing to those three fucking fools? They just got to stay in their goddamn hotel, hopefully at the college's expense. And I hope they run up the biggest fucking bill that USC has ever seen. All right? At their expense. They're, they're holding them up in the hotel until the judicial system in China goes through them. Tell me that's not in comparison to what happened to Otto Warmbier in the Republic of North Korea. Isn't that like a slap on the wrist? Otto Warmbier stole a damn poster, another fucking idiot, but what happened to him was unjust. You know, he got arrested, mistreated, abused, and murdered. They yeah. murdered the Republic of North Korea came murdered. Back dead. Otto, yeah, he came back dead. That means he was murdered. He was killed. Because through negligence, through whatever, intentionally, it doesn't matter. He was murdered in the Republic of North Korea for stealing a poster. You know, we want to talk about all those guys that are, you know, um, resisting arrest over here and getting shot and stuff like that. Like, you're resisting arrest. You're fighting police officers. You might catch a bullet if you're, you're, you're scaring someone with a gun. All right? Police are human, too. They get scared, okay? And if they feel that you could potentially kill them, you know, the conflict happened. The speed of conflict... It's faster than anything that could ever fucking happen in this world. The speed of conflict is like that. That means someone pulling out a gun, squeezing a trigger, and putting a bullet through your chest. Police deal with that every damn day in this nation, okay? And we're over here complaining about that, but this man literally died for trying to steal a poster in the Republic of North Korea and China. That's how classy are they dealing with the situation. Stay in your hotel. Stay in your damn hotel? Are you kidding me? And then the way through the diplomatic, you know what? I don't care what happens to these three fools. They need to learn a life, a life lesson. As men, they need to be humbleized. That's it. And well, they get the uh, what a throat punch of the goddamn week. So wrapping things up here, epic episode. As a reminder for all those who are listening, for a limited time, you can receive a 50% discounted membership to SoftRep TV, our channel that offers the most exclusive shows documentaries and interviews covering the most exciting military content today SoftRep tv's premier show training cell follows former special operations forces as they participate in the most advanced training in the country everything from shooting schools defensive driving jungle and winter warfare climbing and much more again you can watch this content by subscribing to SoftRep tv at softreptv.us and take advantage of a limited-time offer of 50% off your membership. That's only $4.99 a month. If you haven't gotten a chance to check out the SoftRep Crate Club, you're definitely going to want to do that ASAP. It's a subscription to get a box of badass tactical and survival gear delivered to your door every month. Here's the kicker. All of the gear is hand-picked and tested by former special ops guys, so you know you're getting quality gear that's going to work when you need it to. Crates we've sent in the past have included gear like custom knives, multi-tools, fire starters, EDC med kits, and other kick-ass stuff. You don't just get great gear with your subscription. You're also supporting a veteran-owned and run company. Plus, our Crate Club subscribers are invited to our annual club party. We had that in Vegas this year. We're going to do it again in January for SHOT Show. 
So to subscribe and start getting your gear, visit CrateClub.us. We also have gift options available. That's CrateClub.us. And last thing I'm going to mention, you got two chances to hang out with some of the guys that you know uh, this weekend. If you're hearing this, you know, as it goes up, you probably have a few hours until this happens. Friday, so today, uh, Marine Corps anniversary, we're celebrating and a book signing with Jason at Not For Nothing Tattoo. That's 120 Dykeman Street at 6 p.m. Uh, bring your books, as you said, but you'll have a few extras on yes, hand. Uh, Saturday, I'll be here for this. Uh, I know that you will as well, Jason. Uh, James Powell, another former Marine from the show, and our friend Andrew Wilkow. Wilkow's Vet Ride for Veterans Day uh, being held at Emmett O'Looney's 210 West 50th Street, that all starts at 1 p.m., um, and the money goes to a great cause. So if you guys are in the New York area, come check out uh, either of those events. Does that about sum it up, man? I mean, we went well over two hours here. You so. know what? It was a really, really good episode. And like I said, I learned a lot. I love learning shit that I don't know. And Derek killed it, man. Really, really great guest. And that was on you, man. Good job, bro. Yeah, well, the writers are invited on anytime. All the time. So, God, they're good. Yeah, so leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. That's all we ask. I mean, we're giving you two-plus hours of awesome free content. It'll take you literally 30 seconds to go on that app, write us a review. Um, you know who I'm psyched for coming up in a couple episodes? Got Rob O'Neill coming back. Yes. That's going to be awesome. Oh, and our uh, the 14th. We have Joel Ortega. Yeah. And this is a surprise episode for you 300. guys. Yes, episode 300 is a surprise for you guys. Joel Ortega is someone that I look up to a lot, okay? This guy I have followed in his footsteps. Marine Scout Sniper, Marine Scout Sniper instructor at the basic course. And then he also got out and d- done some d- government work. Carpenter and lives in Puerto Rico. He's another Puerto Rican starting his own business, his own bar and cigar lounge. This guy is awesome, and he has some insight on the Marine Corps Scout Sniper community that I didn't even know. Damn. That's crazy because he schooled me on a lot of things as far as the you know our lineage or should i say you know certain things that the movers and the shakers of the 90s where the program was starting to um become revamped into what you know what basically what we went into what i went into so i think it's going to be a great podcast this guy's awesome and hopefully you guys would enjoy it i'm trying to bring this stuff out to you guys so you get that in-depth look on you know basically what i can do you know so what i can afford you guys um that being said man thank you for listening and uh you you guys are the best audience out there you've been listening to software radio a part of hurricane group the difficult done immediately the impossible by appointment only shows are recorded at our studio in chelsea new york city special thanks to our producer and co-host ian scotto follow the show on twitter at software radio